The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Uh, uh, uh. Hey now, it's Mike Gilbert, host of the Mike and JD Show, right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Join JD by God Oliva and myself every Thursday night live on the Voices of Wrestling YouTube channel at 11.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as we stay up all night discussing all the hottest stories in professional wrestling. You can also check us out right here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting feed or you can subscribe to the Mike and JD Show feed. Now, enjoy the show. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. DNA is the best wrestling in the whole world. Oh yeah, you can be king, king, king of these nuts. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's not live, they'll edit it if they don't like it. Oh. TNA is my world. Welcome to Planet Jarrett. You will feel the power. Period. You're getting naked. This is BS. This sucks. I've lost my objectivity and I don't give a damn. Welcome everybody to You've Got to Be Kidding Me episode number 31. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. This episode we're talking about Turning Point 2004 in December of 2004. I'm Garrett Kidney, and I'm joined as always by Liam Jones. I fucking love a TNA. That's an enthusiastic opening right there. You're coming right in, high energy, a deep devotion to the subject matter. What more could I ask for? I said it, and then like a wave of heat went over my body, and I, I don't know what that means, but it doesn't, it doesn't think that's good. No, that's your body filling with warmth at the love and joy it has for TNA. It just, it it invigorates you to the degree that your body gets warm. It feels like a mild stroke, but I'm, I'm sure it's the warmth of TNA. It's the stroke that Jeff Jarrett delivers every <laughs> single week on Impact that is just embedding itself within you. He sure does deliver it every single week. Our, our Brie best friend, AEW superstar Jeff Jarrett. He had like the third best match on that show. Well, you do have the consistent the, like, AEW MVP that is Sting. It's Sting! But he wasn't on any of these shows. No, this is a Stingless environment. There's every other WCW star, but it's a Stingless environment. <laughs> I'm coming into this podcast with the same energy that Kevin Nash comes into any impact. So you're going to go three times longer than you were supposed to, is what you're saying? Well, simultaneously not doing anything. Oh dear, big Kev. We even got a Lex Luger sighting this month, so. Great. Well, that'll be good for the YouTube views. Yeah, the entire Best Damn section will be just like, Lex Luger was on Best Damn, and that's what we're talking about for 15 minutes. He just posed. <laughs> he did. He did just pose. Uh, so your back is out. That's the reason Liam's in a mild degree of discomfort. So as he sits here for, for three hours, through probably four. I haven't sat in a chair in like a day and a half. 
And let mm-hmm. me tell you, it doesn't feel great. So know that Liam is suffering for this art, which is the real, the real reason you should go to patreon.com slash kidding me and support to us. pay so my medical bills. <laughs> Liam can get back surgery, question mark? Yeah, let's go. It's from Carrying the Podcast. Now take it back. It's from us carrying the VOW Podcasting Network. <laughs> Thank you. That means we can, I could be on board with your arrogance and it's not pitting us against each other. Yeah, see, that's why I changed it. Because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a team player. Listen, we're on the same network that has Days of Thunder, so it Ugh, requires sad on Days of Thunder. We're really building up the beef for when we do the crossover episode for WWA. I like how one-sided it is. Uh-huh. Like, they just called you, like, a racist, and then it's been nothing but, like... Like, they threw a pebble, and we responded with a machine gun. That's the way it works. You mm. don't come at us. Yeah, well, yeah, we're that, we're that kind of podcast, you know. Don't come at the kings. <laughs> Do not miss. We will end you <laughs> by making up mildly disconcerting rumors <laughs> about your love of Prince Charles, King Charles. Sorry, my mistake. Oh wow, that's my king you're talking about, Garrett. That is your king. I was also I made the I think it was Mason Mount mistake during the World Cup when when they were doing the anthems and he sang "God Save My Gracious Queen." Who was that guy? Do you want to talk about Cum Dog? <laughs> uh, sure, you're you Australian. Brought up the World team. Cup. <laughs> That's the only thing I remember. Your favorite wrestler, friend of Grado, which does yeah. tie it into TNA. Cum Dog, World Cup team member, the Socceroos as we call them, Cum Dog. You did have your first win yesterday. You beat Tunisia. Which I've never heard of. You've never heard of Tunisia? No. <laughs> and I asked everyone in my house if they had heard of Tunisia. And they were like, no. And then we, we came to the conclusion that they were making up countries so that Socceroos could get wins. This is an anti-Africa agenda from you right here. <laughs> this was an enhancement match. So after they lost to France, a country you've heard of, they're like, yes. let's invent a fake country in order yeah. for us to beat. Yep, yeah, 100%. An interesting theory. We should split from Tasmania and then make Tasmania its own country for that same reason. So you're going to play against Denmark in your final game, which is basically a playoff winner goes through. We're going to win. I, I'm, t- I'm telling it right now. Everyone who's listening to this podcast, go put money on Australia to win the whole thing. I like the way, not not just to beat Denmark, not just to qualify for the round of 16. It's like, win the whole World Cup. It's coming home. It's coming home. It's coming. Football's coming home to us. Ah, you got the Brits in the end. Are we getting a World Cup? <laughs> we have like a Women's World Cup coming up, right? You have the Women's World Cup coming up next year, which we have qualified for, by the way. Good promotion. You say we win, we win the other World Cup and then we have the Women's World Cup here. Please don't read into the fact that I almost called it the real World Cup. Wow. <laughs> Sexist Liam Jones coming in hot. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not what I should call that at all. Cancelled. 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 It was the, um, the uh, AFLW women's... Well, I guess that's implied with the W at the end. The AFLW grand final today, Garrett. Oh, who won? That would be Melbourne. Are they the best team? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, Liam displaying his deep knowledge of women's sports. We won 19 to 15, mm-hmm. which is a very low scoring game, but I imagine it was a lot of technical play. I'd say you say we, you're not from Melbourne. 
It's my place. I live here. Yeah. I I voted in the Melbourne and Victorian election this last week, two days ago. You were simply a fair weather fan jumping on board the successful sports teams. In my defense, <laughs> there's no other team, and the women's league was established in 2017. Mm. There, there hasn't been any time. There is no more tour team. You should have launched it. Let me see what clubs there are. We got Adelaide, Brisbane, Carlton, Collingwood, Essendon, Fremantle, Geelong. Those are all just the men's teams. Get some, get some exclusive women's teams. Ah, if only there was one from Mildura. Exactly. All the more reason you have to create this team, then. I guess technically, I just, I would just go Melbourne. I don't know what else is near here. I don't want to go Collingwood. I, I could never support them. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. So, what else has going been going on in your life? Ah. <sighs> I don't know. Since we last recorded, we have both played and finished Pokemon. Yes. It is a good Pokemon game. It may, in fact, be the best Pokemon game. There's probably some people on the internet that are going to get mad at you at the, the the prospect of calling that game the best Pokemon game. Well, I should cry. They do. It's all they do exclusively. They cry a lot. I mean, I, like, I get it's not like the most polished thing in the world, but you know what? I had... A sense of adventure that I have never felt with a Pokemon game before, so fuck you. Yeah, because I beat the Pokemon League, uh, not even the Pokemon League, I beat the end game yesterday, and I've just been wandering the map, leaping over things on my ride on, and catching Pokemon, and it's a fun time. It's just a fun time! <laughs> yeah, I, um, I am the ace. I am Academy Ace three times over. Mm. Oh, I haven't gotten to the tournament yet. I'm, I'm only halfway through. Spoilers for the end game. You beat the gyms again, like every Pokemon game. But yeah, <laughs> only halfway through that. I was really happy about my favorite one out of all of the gyms that you refight is the Bug Gym. Mm-hmm. Have you done that one yet? I don't think so. Because at the end of it, she goes, "You know, the champion made me promise to be like easy on people because my gym's like closest to the school." But fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> You've a little fight. I want to be like real tough. So if anyone complains about it, eh, not all pastries are sweet. <laughs> and I was like, she is the coolest. I do like that they've actually made that canon because it's always this thing. It's like this gym trainer has level four Pokemon. <laughs> it's like yeah. no, it's they're they're meant to be. It's meant to be a a, a difficulty curve. The, the, like I, I'd probably give like like the game like an eight point seven out of ten. Mm-hmm. Like one of the big things that I think would have made it a like a slam dunk into the nines for me would have been if the gyms were scaled to how many badges you had. Cause mm. I appreciate that you can do them in any order, but I would have liked them. I, I just keep them within the, the level, make the highest level. The gyms can be the top level of the Pokemon. You can train without them stopping obeying you. Seems yeah, like the easiest sense. way. It's like, Oh, the next gym, you can train Pokemon up to 20. Then you go in there, whichever gym you pick has a team of level twenties. And the way they do the story triggers, I'd imagine they're, that, that's not that hard to do because, like, the story triggers are based on, like, the, the you go to gym one, you get story trigger one, you go to gym two, you get story trigger two, as yeah. opposed to you get a story trigger devoted to, to, to each city. Yeah, exactly. So, like, like, there's nothing, like, specified. So you could make it based all on the number of gyms that you have. Yeah, my, my little quill with the game is I think the cities are just kind of barren. Yeah, well, uh, that's been the problem ever since they swapped to, like, this big 3D open world stuff, though. They all feel like encampments more than they do actual cities. But even, like, in all of the other games, you could at least go in most of the buildings. So it felt like at least a real place with people in it. 
Or is this one that's just like, there's a gym and there's some shops and really that's it? I don't think I talk to like anyone outside of main characters in this game. No, because nobody gives you anything anymore either. That's the thing. So all the yeah. items are on the floor or uh, for beating battles. This game made me appreciate Sword and Shield because mm-hmm. without Sword and Shield, I don't see how you could have jumped from what Pokemon games were to what this is. And Legends Arceus as well. Yeah, for sure. But like, I feel like I'm just talking about mainline games. I think you needed, and because Sword and Shield gets so much hate, those I, are good games. They're just good games. All of these, like, there's very few bad Pokemon games. The ones I enjoy least are X and Y, and even then, they're fine. Yeah, I hated X and Y when I played them. I've gone back since then. I'm like, these aren't as bad as I was treating them to be because they're like standard RPGs. Like the the basics of the Pokemon formula, you really can't go wrong. Well, with. X and Y also got a lot of hate because. It was the game where they made a lot of changes to be like a regular RPG, but, pe- but people misconstrued that as them making it easier. It's just like, oh, they tell you on the screen which move is super effective. It's like, how dare they not need me to have that knowledge? And they did the like the the actual, like, every other RPG thing of making everyone in your party get XP. Mm, which is and everyone fine. Was, and everyone it's, complained like, about that. And But you know what? You know what I really love about the, these games now? The fact that I don't have to go out and fucking grind this goddamn Pidgey for an hour and a half to do anything with it because I can just chuck it in my party for a bit and eventually it'll catch up somewhat and then I can start putting it in battles at the front. Yeah, and you don't even have to do the thing where you have to switch in the Pidgey at the start to get more experience and switch it back out. And you can if you want because you still you do get more XP for them being in battles. So if you want to do it that way, you can. These people who are like, I like the inconvenience of the way Pokemon used to be. It's like, guys, stop it. Just stop. Yeah. Just move on. It's like, I I get it. But like, the, like, another thing that I did have a problem with this game is, and I understand why, because I actually think they made this game relatively hard. Yeah, I, w- I was under leveled a little bit for pretty much the entire game. Like all of the, the fights I had against like the, the late game trainers, they had Pokemon slightly stronger than I did. Yeah, that was... I went into the, the ice gym, like, 12 levels underleveled. Mm. Because I picked it ahead of going to, like, the water and the normal. Yeah, I went to... Because you can go two ways... Well, three ways, I think, out of the first town once they get through all the tutorial nonsense. And I went the slightly harder way, so it was slightly tougher out that, out that direction. But, like, I went into that battle at, like, 12 levels underleveled, but I had a great time trying to, like, strategize and win that fight. Mm. Because I was so underleveled. When I did feel like I was way too underleveled to, like, actually do anything, I went out and did some of the goddamn, like, raids. And just got a few, like, medium XPs. And then I leveled up my stuff to make it consistent, and I was fine. Or you could do some of the bases, or you could do some of the, the legendary I, I had done Pokemon all the bases. Nonsense. I had done all the bases at that point, except for the the fighting one. Mm. And so I was like... And that, that area was... <laughs> I, like, scummed my way into that area before I did the final Titan. I, like, flew in from the sides and got in there because I wanted to catch Bishop. <laughs> Which I appreciate. And yeah, that's what I saw people giving out about the fact that you can, like, climb things and, and Skyrim where you are about. It's like, no, the game wants to give you that freedom. Yeah. It, they'll make it easier for you if you do the Titans, but... Yeah, even, even if it leads to, like, like, weird jank, it's like, it's cool that the game tries to give you that freedom. It's not bad. Yeah, I had a great time trying to find... I literally went into the map, looked at areas that I thought I might be able to get my way through. Spent like an hour before bed doing it, caught my bishop just before bed. I was I was perfectly content with that. And then after I beat that ice gym, because that was what I did in between, I was like level up high enough to do the final Titan Pokemon. Yeah, it's a good game. Because that, time, really that last game. Titan Pokemon washed me over and over again. Which one was the last one you did? That was the, the, the water one that I forget the name. 
Oh yeah, the the weird dragony thing, fake dragon. Yeah, the, the fake dragon one. Yeah, that one crushed me because I went in there at like maybe level forty, and that thing is clearly meant for like when you've done at least like six or seven gyms. Mm-hmm. I evolved the dragonite, but then it didn't obey me. <laughs> so it's like, well, that's the thing. I, I caught my I caught my bishop. Oh, this is the hypest moment I had in the entire game. I caught my bishop. It was at level fifty six when I caught it. And I had was on, like, the seventh gym or whatever. Like, one... No, I was doing my eighth gym, so, like, after that, I would have had it... It would have started obeying me. I got down to my, like... It was the ghost gym. I, I was down to, like, my last Pokemon. It was just Bishop, and it was just their ace Pokemon at that point. Everything else had been evened out. I went and put out Bishop. I was like, I really need you to obey me right now. <laughs> I, it obeyed me after, like, not obeying me the first time and going down to, like, a quarter health. I click Night Slash, it finally obeys me, takes it out. I was like, and then in the cinematic moment, right then, I get the bad shot, will start obeying me. <laughs> That's nice. Your Bisharp is like, listen, he's going to get it anyway. I-, I I should give it to him. Exactly. And then me and Bishop, we went out there and we killed three other Bishops and he invo- evolved and I was very happy. Oh yeah, I saw that evolve for him because uh, the final Pokemon, the champion uses it and I, I fucked it up with a close combat. So I was like, oh, what the hell is this? Oh, it's dead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I real I saw that one in one of the leaks, and I was like, I need that. Uh, see, I avoided all the leaks, so I had the wonderful moments of like, what the fuck is that? That was me. I had a few of those. Like one Pokemon, I, I really ended up enjoying a lot was Fido. Hmm. Uh, was that the evolution, or was that the uh, Fido was the first form? The second one. I once that thing evolved, I was like, oh, this Pokemon's great. Yeah. I love that you could change the natures. Of all the Pokemon now, if they like, threw different uh, mints and stuff you find on the ground. Mm, and there's some world-class Pokemon names in this game, like Flamigo, because the game is based in Spain, and it's a Flamingo, so it's Flamigo, which is It's flamingo just a Flamingo. It's not a Pokemon at all. <laughs> it's just an animal. And also, Mousehold is, like, one of the best Pokemon, and two, the best Pokemon name of all time. Mousehold is just a sensational pun. The, the English, like, uh, can- translating team had a wonderful time. I always wonder, with a Pokemon that's called Mousehold, which is, the, like, the, the premise, it's four different mice. It's a family of mice. I was like, did the name come first or the Pokemon? Mm, that's an interesting one. Well, like, because, like, what was the Japanese name first, you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, did, did you get the wordplay? I don't know. Because if it was just, we came up with a family of mice, and then somebody came up with Mousehold, that person is a fucking genius. Yeah, whoever's on that localization team deserves a raise. Mm. We could do more on Pokemon, and we probably will, but I guess we should get the TNA! Yay. Before we do, patreon.com slash kiddingme is where you can go to to get our extra content, including our Rain Taker series, where we cover 2012 New Japan, including our Global Force Wrestling series, all of that sitting there, including all of our Monday Night Wars series sitting there, including our Ring Kaking series, all of which is sitting there, and our Wrestling Society X series, which is in progress. All of that at patreon.com slash me, including watch-alongs. We have watch-alongs now with Victory Road and of Turning Point sitting there waiting for you. And we'll have more and more content coming down the road. We're coming toward the end of the year. We'll do the draft and the end-of-year awards after we do um, the final resolution episode. Because I guess we, we do have a few more episodes of TV this year to cover. So it'll be after the next episode that we'll do the usual draft and end of year awards. But patreon.com slash getting me or tnachat.com. You can go there, support the show and get a lot more content. We're on to like four full series you can listen to and multiple ongoing series and all the watch alongs and all our star notes ratings and our show notes. And I should emphasize every time if you're like, I don't really like the ads that are in the show. One dollar tier over on Patreon. 
you can listen to the show ad free with the show notes. So all that. Patreon.com slash kidding me. TNHI.com. Also go to the YouTube. I feel like we should do that at the start as well. Because we always leave it to the end. <laughs> oh, the other thing that we should mention at the start, not three hours into the podcast, is we also have the, the uh, anniversary billing turned on now. So when you sign ah. up is when you will get 30 days. You do not have to worry about the Patreon nonsense of signing up at the start of the month anymore. And whenever you sign up is when you'll get a month's worth of access. Which brings us to the month that is December 2004, building up to Turning Point. Just to upset you, Liam, I'm going to start with the best dams. <laughs> I mean, can we just run down both shows at the start? Because they're they not really super relevant, so let's just run through the best damn night one and two and then go to the regular shows. Yeah, well, then we'll go to the news. But uh, TNA had two crossover events with the best damn sports show, which was Fox Sports... Uh, Nets talk show, basically their equivalent of Sports Center, I suppose, uh, except more like light entertainment than news, which I guess Sports Center is more light entertainment than news. But so it is their Sports Center. I'm going to stick to that comparison. So uh, they would have a half hour show every night or an hour show, depends. And TNA had two one hour specials with them, which were basically like more or less just one hour wrestling shows that also had an awful lot of antics with the best damn sports show hosts, who are John Sally, Chris Rose, Lee Antweeden, Brian Cox, and Tom Arnold. And they all suck. <laughs> it is a a terrible glimpse back into mid-2000s, like, bro entertainment culture, and it's, it's not a welcome glimpse, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, let's all harass this woman for four hours. Yeah, that, the whole thing with Leanne Tweedy is she takes over Shane Douglas's role as backstage interviewer, and everybody who talks to her just sexually harasses her. That's the entire shtick. And, and Dusty does, like, I'm a nice guy routine. Yeah. Ugh. Because, like, she goes to interview the NYC, the NYC hit on her, she's like, go away, then Dusty comes in and is like, I'm also gonna hit on you, daddy. It's awful. Oh, it's bad stuff. And, and like, Tom Arnold, who is probably, like, the funniest of them, also makes the most well, problematic is, jokes. Is a for real, actual comedian. <laughs> but also, he's a comedian in 2004, so he's punching yeah. down, baby! Yeah. There is a lot of punching. Like there is a, a moment where he's like outside interviewing people, and he actually tells like has some like funny one-liners, and that's about it. I don't care about any of this. I wish I didn't watch it, and it's stupid. I deeply regret making Leah watch it because I think it soured him on the whole month. <laughs> I I was I was not happy. I'll, I'll tell you that I was not happy to be watching any of this. I'm not even happy to do the show this this month. <laughs> like I I. You should have, if I could accurately describe how little I wanted to do this month <laughs> after watching this, I I don't think I have the words. I felt empty. I felt lifeless after watching this. All happiness had been sapped from my body. <laughs> I didn't enjoy a second of it. Then I was kind of like glazed over with all the TVs because of it. And then we got to the pay-per-view and I was just like, thank God Garrett's here so I have someone to talk to because I hate everything. <laughs> oh, November 10th, 2004, we had the best damn wrestling event period. And the best fucking damn joke of calling it the best damn wrestling event. I know it's the name <laughs> of your fucking show. I don't care. I'm angry. Uh, all of the best damn hosts walked into Universal. Chris Rose was calling wrestling fake. So then Jeff Jarrett hit him with a guitar. Ha ha ha. 
What a funny joke to do. I love to come and then I have the wrestling fight and then all the wrestlers, they come out and they say, hey, buddy, it's not fake. And then you go, ha ha. And then we all have a laugh. A laugh is a word for it. So then we're in the uh-huh. impact zone proper as JB introduces John, Sally, Chris Rose, Leanne Tweed and Brian Cox and a Tom Arnold. Chris Rose calls wrestling faker than Michael Jackson's nose, Pamela Anderson's chest <laughs> and Tom Arnold's wife's orgasms. That's not the only Pamela Anderson joke. Pan Am in the in the news. I don't know. I think she's just famous and she has fake boobs. So they make jokes. Hope she was having a good time for herself while these creeps were <laughs> far, far away from her. Oh, no. Do not search a Pamela Anderson in a, a year because it's just like, look at all her naked photos. Mm. She could vote in 2004? I'd imagine she could vote in many years. Nah, 2004. Okay, good for her. Because I think she's Canadian, so she got like her American citizenship in 2004. So do you think she voted for Dusty Rhodes or Vince Russo? <laughs> I think she voted for the show to end. <laughs> She didn't have any releases in 2004. She was in the Fox sitcom Stat in 2000. No, that was 2005. She didn't. 2004 was the one year she took off. Yeah, and they're still taking pot shots at her. What what the hell? Who was she married to in 2004? She wasn't even married in 2004. Yeah, leave this woman alone. God, she she did nothing to you, you cretins. So Roddy Piper interrupts. Roddy, he's a fan of all the hosts other than Chris Rose. Then he invites Rose into the pit with Roddy Piper on the following night show and slaps Rose. Um, Roddy Piper is insane at this point and it's kind of (laughs) cool. He's fully like losing his mind. The man is just like ranting and raving without any coherence. But in a way that's a little more charming than the Asylum era ranting and raving without any coherence. Well, this is Roddy Piper. You know, this is even like the Piper that we get in... WWE at like the same time, you know? Yeah, there there was always the two Pipers. It's like the Piper who's like real locked in focused. You think of that Jericho promo we did in the build up to WrestleMania twenty five, like that promo rocks when he has like something to sink his teeth into. Whereas here when you just send him out there, it's like Piper go shout at these sports hosts. He's just like, I'm I'm not gonna do anything but shout. Which is funny because like I was watching the WrestleMania twenty one mm-hmm. and they did the segment with Piper and Austin. And it was like a weird hybrid of both. Oh, you get the double-sided Piper. Wow. Yeah, it, it was Piper who like who knew he was on a big stage, so he had to deliver. But it was unhinged w- uh, NWA TNA Piper a little bit. <laughs> it's always in there. It can, it can come out at any moment. He was he was trying his darndest to come out. <laughs> uh, this segment continued for reasons past incomprehension. They showed footage of Monty Brown and Brian Cox's confrontation on the previous week's best time. Monty came out, he cut a promo on Cox, but the Naturals jumped him. The Naturals called Monty a big, dumb football player, just like Cox. And they said Cox should find a tag team partner for himself. Oh my god, I wonder who he could possibly pick (laughs) to be his tag team partner. Yeah, for the following night, it will be Brian Cox and a mystery partner facing the Naturals. Oh, I, I have no clue whom it could be. Didn't they, like, someone said it was going to be Stern? At some point, they teased that. <laughs> Howard Stern may finally making his TNA debut after they pitched that puppet against Beetlejuice segment. Well, that would have made sense with the return of puppets, so. Mm. So they went to break, they came back, and they're still in the ring. They pitched to a Victory Road <laughs> recap, then they come back and they do sick burns in the <sighs> things you wouldn't say to TNA wrestlers. <sighs> 
uh, Kid Cash, Dallas, and Team Canada were the 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 subjects of their jokes. They came out. Trail K and AMW made the save. Let's do our own uh, things you wouldn't say segment, but we'll do it about uh, Days of Thunder. <laughs> <laughs> things you wouldn't say to Dave Ryan. <laughs> things you wouldn't say to Dave Ryan. Hey, Dave Ryan, I hate the Queen just like you. Could, I get it, you wouldn't say it because he loves her, you see. Ah, that's a good one, well done. <laughs> hey, uh, Days of Thunder, more like uh, Days of Plunder because... You rely on gimmicks. Got him. Fucking. <laughs> uh, so then we have Dusty is backstage with Leanne Tweeden. She replaces Andy. Franchise. She does the same where she interviews NYC. And, and then Dust- Dusty does in fact hit on her. <laughs> hey, Dave Ryan. Well, I, uh, Dave crying at all the things that we have to say. Lee Malone, like Lee all alone, because we're fucking roasted Dave. <laughs> you think we're gonna get a brief oasis in this desert of nonsense when AJ Styles and Alex Shelley come to the ring? I think I'm having a heart attack. And they wrestle for like ninety seconds, and Styles wins with a Styles Clash. <laughs> Made me so upset. Yeah, Abyss showed up, dropped in the shock treatment, choked Sam them through a table, set up a tables match for the next night's show. Who's just protecting his baby bear? That's true. They're, they're, he's a fan of his old pal, uh, Alex Shelley. Goldilocks is gone, but their connection isn't. Even though they hated each other. His friend, Alex Shelley. They counted down the top five moments in TNA history on this episode. Yeah, let's rank them. And the moments they chose were quite interesting. So there was Brian Erlacher killing Johnny Fairplay. Sure. They're, they're all fucking stupid celebrity bullshit. That 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 was gonna be my point. There's no like triple X AMW. There's no, no Raven debuts. No one watching that show knows who they are. Like, like but that's the point, isn't it? Like that that no, to introduce they're doing those like, guys. Hey, look at all these cool celebrities we have on our shows. You should watch us. We're so major league. But shouldn't there be a little bit of both? I guess there is a little bit of both because like AMW do wrestle, Style does wrestle, Killings does wrestle. They do introduce the wrestlers in the wrestling matches and then they're like, hey, what about that time Jared attacked Hogan? They're like, hey, it's a fucking country fella who sang about 9-11. Yeah, number three was the Titans, number two was Chris Rock and number one was I remember the Titans. I'm on fire. I'm on fire today. (laughs) You know about remember the Titans, Gareth? Tom Arnold is checking you know, T.O. for Titans weapons. He, then, he then proposes that T.O. uses kids' toys. Starring Denzel that's, Washington. That's, that's a joke, you see. He's using kids' toys because it's T.O. Ryan Gosling was in it. <laughs> Leanne has Johnny B. Bad backstage. Even Johnny B. Bad hips on her. $36 million at the box office. <laughs> I don't know why Johnny B. Bad is there to hype up Ultimate X, but that, that's, that's what he was being interviewed for. Because the natural order of Ultimate X goes Jimmy Superfly Snooker, Johnny B. Bad, AJ Styles. That is the, the progression of wrestlers in wrestling history. Yeah. Uh, AMW Wrestle Kid Cash in Dallas they actually had a nice little match. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> there were two good matches on this show. Like, the Ultimate X was a good match, too. But, <laughs> listen, it's a good match. Uh, did you know that the filming locations for Remember the Titans... I haven't even campus? seen this film, so <laughs> shut up about Remember How the Titans! How have you seen Remember the Titans? Because, what, you said it made, like, 140 million bucks. A lot of people haven't seen Remember the Titans, I'll have you know. It made 140 million dollars in 2000. Let me do a conversion. <laughs> 
Lord of the Rings made like a billion dollars. Oh, stage, Lord so you of shut the Rings. Up. <laughs> Fucking nerd. I've never seen Lord of the Rings in my life and I never will. You're not helping me out here at all. Nope, I'm going to leave you flounder about Remember the Titans. <laughs> One, three, seven. One, two, three. Uh, uh. You have six zeros for a billion, seven for tens of millions, eight for hundreds of millions. Yeah, I think that's right. Let's calculate. Boop, 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 boop. That's like... Fuck. <laughs> One more zero. No, I lost it! Harris pinned Kid Cash with a spear. What have I done to deserve this fate? After Brian Cox helped AMW, which moves us on to a trio $237 million, dollars, Garrett. That's not even as much money as Black Adam made, and Black Adam was a flop. $30 million dollar budget. Again, we're not talking about profitability. We're talking about people actually seeing this movie. It won many an award. How many awards did Black Adam win? We're not in award seasons yet, so exactly. who can possibly Shut know? Up. It has an average score of 6.3 out of 10. <laughs> Tree Life Crew had a Game of Horse with John Sally. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Tell me all about this Game of Horse they had, Liam. I think Sharkboy was there. He was. That's cool. Like, you would think doing a game of basketball with Sharkboy and D-Ray and Tree Life Crew, there's at least some jokes there. They they somehow didn't tell any. The joke should have been that Sharkboy was the best basketball player on the court. Yeah, because they did the big build-up that, like, Sharkboy was there to take the final shot. And the joke should have been, you're right, that Sharkboy is there. Everyone's like, it's Sharkboy. He's going to miss. And then Sharkboy hits, like, a half-court shot. And now he's the biggest basketball player in the history of existence. Yeah. He has, like, Jordans. But they're shark and like Quick, think of something. Think of something better. Go. Um, the, the Sharks. <laughs> he All plays right, for the San Jose Sharks. I think they're a hockey team. team. <laughs> we know so much about American sports. Yeah, the, the bit they did do was BG was terrible and then Conan sank his shot. So at least there's that. They're dunking a little on BG. Yep. Mike Tanae and Tom West were there with Tom Arnold and uh, Chris Rose. I brought real third hour vibes to this best damn <laughs> wrestling event period review. They were talking about what makes DNA special. Mike Tanae was like, you know, there's really the X Division. And then Tom Arnold starts talking about hot chicks. You think you're special, special. Uh, Jeff Hammond, six points of impact with Jared. Uh, Daniel's face, Kazarian. Daniel's hit the best damn moonsault ever. Tracy distracted the referee. Shane's interference that backfired, allowing Daniel to hit the end to win. Why he couldn't just win with his move then? Who could possibly say? Let's speed up this review of best damn. <laughs> John Sally did the basketball thing. Jeff Jarrett was attacked by the Titans. Remember the Titans? Tom Arnold was talking Fuck! to TNA refs about his hardcore match. He was perhaps a little bit problematic. Uh, Raven lost to Ron Killings in a terrible wrestling match. Today did tease that there will be another big debut on Impact. Rolled up Raven out of the Raven effect for the win. Puppet brawls with Tom Arnold backstage because he wants to kill him. He is all of us. We did have the return of Puppet. We should we should focus some time on the return of Puppet. T.O. defeated Puppet with Tom Arnold as special referee. We had the return of T.O. as well. That's true. Do you think the reason they didn't bring back Goldilocks was because they, knew they, knew they knew they were bringing back Puppet and obviously they can't work together? <laughs> yeah, there's heat. So Tom Arnold interfered on Tio's behalf, leading to Tio hitting uh, Puppet with, I believe, a scale, as Arnold counted with a microphone on Puppet's face, <laughs> which was very rude of him. And also, they're meant to be baby faces here. Puppet's meant to be the heel, beating up these guys as they're teaming up on them two on one. I didn't get that vibe at all. I thought for sure that like Puppet was meant to be the baby face. 
Which means he should have triumphed over all of these guys teaming up on the poor guy. Tom Otto looks strong. Mm. And then main event, Chris Saber defeated Sanjay Dutton Skipper in an Ultimate X match. This is the saddest match I've ever seen. Why? Because this was on this show. It was a good match, to be fair. It was truly pathetic. <laughs> I hated every second of it. They did go out uh, there and had like a, like just a six-minute Ultimate X sprint. Which makes it more upsetting. Mm. <laughs> it made it worse that they like, tried. <laughs> this show didn't deserve their effort. You know, who I, you know who I fucking came out of this having much more respect for? Who? Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. Because they said fuck you to being on this. Well, it was taped before they debuted, but sure. I don't care. They still could have done it. <laughs> uh, they could have done a backstage segment. Mm. Oh, by the way, when Puppet came out, no reaction. The Impact Zone are fake fans. Yeah, they they don't know anything about. That's why same. That was the, the Eric Watts problem. We call it. <laughs> uh, so this match was actually for something. The winner would face Petey Williams at Turning Point for the exhibition title. Saban won. Petey Williams is an amazing athlete. Which brings us the best damn sports wrestling event night two November eleventh. They did two nights of this. Why? Why did they do a second night of this? This was like it's such a good show. It's such a good Why idea. Do they we need hate two me? whole hours. So Tom Arnold roasted puppet, roasted in exclamation points. Uh, Roddy Piper came out here with live bagpipes. He's hosting Chris Rose on the in the pit with Roddy Piper. Rose was wearing the Terry Taylor slash Bobby Roode slash Scott Demore robe. We had the TNA return of Johnny Fairplay. And I like how they both like shit on him. And it makes it even funny because, like, Johnny Fairplay was, like, Roddy Piper's whipping boy. Yeah. Remember when they were, like, talking about doing an angle with Piper and, and Fairplay that was going to be Piper's big feud and Fairplay's big feud? And instead, this is all they ever do. He comes out in this best damn segment. I also like that apparently, like, this is meant to be, like, the big Rose face turn. Mm. But he's still, like, a giant piece of shit. He got no comeuppance. <laughs> Yeah, so Fairplay comes out, he calls himself the biggest star in the history of reality. Do you get it, Liam? Yeah, it's like reality television. He's very funny. Then Piper sprayed, sprayed him with a, a fire extinguisher, and then Rose gave him a body slam. Not a very good body slam either. Brian Cox is a much better wrestler than uh, Chris Rose. Yeah, but like, Chris Rose has to like get him up, but also he's working with Johnny Fairplay. <laughs> Do you think Johnny Fairplay... Listen, I've seen Johnny Fairplay take the sickest powerbomb of all time from AJ Styles, so... Yeah, but that's AJ Styles doing it. I have faith. Brian Urlacher, non-wrestler, hit a damn good press slam on Johnny Fairplay. I have again, faith... Again, you're, you're talking about people who actually have, like, muscle on their frame. I have faith in, in Johnny Fairplay's ability to take bumps. So this is all on Chris Rose. But anyway, yeah, this sucked, and Chris Rose is annoying as shit. But one thing I'll give Chris Rose credit is, somehow out of all of them, he was by far, by far the best host. Oh, what what do you have against the rest of them? They all sucked! They're all fucking annoying. They're all terrible hosts, they're not funny, I hate all of them. Chris Rose is the only one who looks like he's ever actually been on a camera before. To be fair, his job is literally just host. <laughs> yeah! And he's the one who actually looks like he should be on camera. It's a shame he's doing a terrible gimmick. Because all the rest are, are former sports stars who are now hosts. Or Tom Arnold, in his case, a comedian say, who's yes, now a Tom host. Arnold. Listen, Leanne Tweedy's a perfectly fine host, too. She was fine. She didn't do anything. They got her out of there pretty quickly compared to everyone else. 
Yeah, yeah, so after the power slam, Piper sprayed Rose with a fire extinguisher, which, as we mentioned last month, he went to business for himself, and they very quickly cut away here when he started spraying with the fire extinguisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leanne has Team Canada. Demore's upset about her attire as a journalist. It's like Americans these days. He's going after John Sally. We had three live crew against Team Canada, and they captured the flag match. BG got the flag, and they won. We ran down the top five finishers in TNA history. Five Canadian Destroyer, four Styles Clash. I think I forgot to write down what three was, but I'm just going to guess it was the pounce. Two was the Swanton, and of course the best finisher in TNA history is the stroke. I don't even disagree. Uh, On that list of all those other moves I named, you would put the stroke as number one. Yeah. I guess it's probably beaten the most people. Yeah, exactly. The most winningest. Mm, That's what they counted here. Uh, Tom Arnold interviewed a bunch of people, a bunch of fans, made some jokes, mostly at Hulk Hogan's expense. Uh, Brian Cox was backstage teasing who his mystery partner would be. You had AJ and Abyss in the tables match. AJ would have won with a sunset the powerbomb through a table. Cool. <laughs> Leanne had Tom. He said many things, many of which I cannot repeat on the show for fear of being cancelled. Uh, Leanne talked to Puppet. She's not pleased that she stooped to interview him. Puppet's like, don't do like that. Which is like fair, by the way. Yeah, he's like, don't patronize me, bitch. Yeah. He goes to threaten Leanne, but Franchise came back. They then had the Tom Arnold versus Puppet match. Puppet's here. <laughs> Puppet's Puppet back. Here. So the T.O. came out, hit a swanton, then T.O. pinned Puppet, even though he's not in the match? Listen, what do you want? I want consistency and I want rules. Out of the best damn wrestling event, period, night two? Yes, is it so much to ask to get consistency and rules? Yes. Have you seen the show? <laughs> um, they showed the still to come feature, which was actually from the night before. They So they fucked up. The show taped like a week in advance, by the way. So they had plenty of time to fix that. PD Williams defeated Jarrell Clark, Michael Shane, uh, Shark Boy, Sanjay Dodd, Brian Cox and Monty Brown defeated the Naturals. Cox actually, for a non-wrestler, looked pretty good. I barely paid attention at this point. My brain was turned off. Uh, he hit a power slam, he locked Douglas in the figure four, Monty hit Stevens with the pounce, and Cox gets the win. Oh yeah, Monty's the mystery partner, by the way. <laughs> you know, like, as I was watching this show at this point, I like, I think I blacked out and I said started seeing Red, and I'm only just remembering it now. No, Amazing Red wasn't in the X Division match. Ha ha ha! They really ruined ha! <laughs> Not that it was a surprise. Remember the Titans? Uh, Brian Cox came out to Monty Brown's music and they, they just didn't acknowledge it. <laughs> and then Monty Brown came out to Monty's Brown's music and they're like, Whoa, mystery partner's Monty! Ooh, wha- uh, uh, uh. Uh, Leanne had Lex Luger backstage for some reason. They were meant to be talking about the Six Sides of Steel main event, but he kept talking about himself. Then uh, posed shirtless in a further sexual harassment suit that I'm sure she filed immediately after. Sounds like Lex Luger. And our main event, Inside Six Sides of Steel, you have Jeff Jarrett against Jeff Hardy. Jeff Squared, face off once again. Uh, Dusty was on commentary, the highlight of which was when Jeff Hardy pulled his shirt off to go for the swanton. Dusty shouted, he's getting naked! It's a good line. Imagine if Jeff Hardy won this. <laughs> he probably just should have, right? Yeah, there's no, there's no title on the line. It's non-title, it's broadly non-canon, just put Jeff Hardy over. You beat him a million times. You could say he beat him in the build-up to the Turning Point match, at least. Like, just have a Jeff Hardy win this match. Damn you, Jeff Jarrett. Just beaten Hardy put again. Put someone over! Oh, well, he will put someone over later this month. Put Darby over. Hardy kicked out of the stroke, It went for the swanton off the cage, but missed... 
And then Jared hit Hardy with a chain in one. Stars hit a crossbody off the cage then to end the show. Woo! Let's never talk about or acknowledge those shows ever again. We will have to... Actually, no, we'll mention it here. They, they, they were trying, hopefully, to get really good ratings so that, so that Fox Sports would either do this regularly, <laughs> fucking God forbid, or at least give them a better TV spot. And the ratings were a 0.26 and a 0.17, respectively, for each show. And the show usually does about like a 0.15. So, uh, first night, modest success. Second night, a completely average rating for the show. So they never did it again. God bless. So perhaps if they didn't, like, blow their load and do two shows, they might have actually had a chance of doing it again next year. Yeah, it might have come across as, you know, oh, you know, a 0.26, that's that's near, not not quite double, but close-ish to double what the show usually does in this time slot. So that's a, a good success story until they did it again. And it's like, nope, there was one night of this and that's it. But like, and it also probably would have done well if you had just made it a yearly thing. Also, when you consider the second night was probably like the, the bigger of the cards. It had Brian Cox wrestling. It had the Six Sides of Steel cage match. It also had a lot of stuff on the first night building to the second night. And then a shitload of people didn't come back. <laughs> I feel like you could have just built all that all on the same show and you would have had a show that was more appealing to that their fan group too. Mm. Like if you had have built to like the Brian Cox match and you had have built to the Tom Arnold like getting in the ring thing and just done them both in like angles building up into that show, I think that that audience of that show would have enjoyed it a lot more. They're like, I'm not coming back tomorrow. I've had enough no, of this. Why would they? Uh, well, that's the best damn sports shows, <laughs> which we can ne- we can now never mention again. Fuck off and die. That brings us to the news, starting with Cookie Gate. <laughs> That's our new news segment that we're going to do. We have a little interlude. Yeah, it's it's actually Liam plays that himself with 17 different instruments. Yeah, it's beautiful. I have a whole ensemble back here. I didn't get to the choir, but... He hired a whole orchestra just for that musical stinger. Yeah, it's the people who did the Judas entrance that one time. That's where your your Patreon money is going to. (laughs) Patreon.com slash kidding me. And I had to just kick him out because we didn't get there in time. On November 10th, several WWE wrestlers happened to be at Universal Studios, home of TNA's weekly impact tapings, to film a commercial. TNA, as a publicity stunt labeled as a friendly greeting, had several TNA wrestlers bring the WWE wrestlers cookies and balloons. WWE is now threatening to sue TNA unless they agree to never air the footage and relinquish the footage. That's rude of them. They were being very nice. Welcoming them to their home arena. Yeah, it's very kind of them. It's like, you know, we, we are the, the holders of Universal Studios and you are coming to visit to shoot your apparently obscenely expensive Royal Rumble commercial. I'm, I'm sure when TNA runs MSG, WWE will have send out the same bandwagon. Mm, and I'm sure WWE have never done any kind of stunt where they no. sent wrestlers to another no. company's building and then cried foul when that company threatened legal action. That would Wait, never yeah, I'm happen. I'm pretty sure they did do that and it ended the Monday Night Wars forever. Yeah, so that actually that's why WWE threatened legal action here because they knew this this instance would end them to forever. Yeah. They knew that, like, oh my god, they worked out the strategy of how to win every single ratings war. Mm. So, WWE were there shooting the West Side Story uh, Royal Rumble commercial. Randy Orton, Luther Reigns, Jesus, Jericho, Benoit, and go were all there. 
like they they made a whole publicity stunt about it. WWE filed a a formal letter of complaint with Universal Studios. A senior WWE official sent a production assistant to TNA Soundstage 21 and delivered a verbal warning that if any WWE wrestlers were filmed by TNA, we will sue your fucking ass. <laughs> that Royal Rumble commercial is so good. Yeah, clearly TNA inspired them. They saw Abyss with his balloons, and they saw Tracy with her cookies, and they're like, we gotta do the best commercial we've ever done in our lives. They should do something more like that. <laughs> they have all the money in the world. Just make, like, a full Marvel movie. Because apparently, like, Dave estimates that commercial cost, like, four hundred dollars to $500,000, <laughs> which is insane when you think about it, but also you're a billion-dollar company, just do it for fun. Yeah, especially now. Who, like, who do you think uh, signed off on that one? Who had that idea? Do you think Vince just watched West Side Story and was like, wait a minute. He's finally caught up to West Side Story and his watching of media. You know he's like 20, 30 years behind at all times. Because like, 2005 was like their like movie parody year. Because mm. they did like all the Mania ones too. The rest of Mania's going Hollywood stuff. Yeah, so like, did, in two, end of 2004, did Vince finally discover movies? Apparently. He's like, this newfangled technology they're showing. They have the trains coming toward the screen. No, he's like, you know, they, um, they're not in black and white and they don't have sound anymore. <laughs> oh, they're even in color. You can actually hear them. I don't know why Vince, in our impressions, is talking like a, a 1920s radio man. Uh, TNA released a press release saying, in response to media reports, about a misunderstanding that occurred at Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida this past week, Wednesday, TNA Entertainment issued an apology to Vince McMahon and WWE for what was apparently mistakenly perceived as a hostile act. In the press release, Shane Douglas stated, I was disheartened. If our kind gesture was mistakenly perceived as threatening and hostile, we apologize. BG James said, personally, I just wanted some mahi-mahi. The only thing I had to eat that day was a stinking cold sandwich from my cheap freelance producer. Now, I know how the other half eats. You were there in, like, all of the 90s. You know how they eat. (laughs) You know they have surprisingly good catering. You know, that's, like, the main takeaway that everyone has from their experience there. The press release said the silent abyss was seen with a tear in his eye, still clutching the very same balloons that no one from WWE wanted. I love that they're, like, shitting on them in their own press release. Uh, TNA concluded the press release. Some things in life are consistent. Success breeds envy. The bully always picks on the little guy. But we all know how the story of David and Goliath ends. And and and, and isn't it crazy how now, in 2022, Impact is the biggest company in the world? And WWE's dead. It did end exactly as David versus Goliath, where Shark Boy shot like a, a slingshot into the eyes of the big show, and WWE fell forever. Shark Boy sent an email to the press about Vince McMahon's sordid history, and that's the end of that. Yeah, so when they got there, like, David Sahadi was the person who found out they were there, apparently, because obviously he has, I assume, connections still in the WWE production department at this stage, so he found out they were, they were there, brought down some wrestlers to film this. When WWE threatened legal action, like, they called up Bob Carter, apparently, and he's like, nah, film, and I'll back you no matter what. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because there was a whole thing this month then where Mike Denae and Don West stated that, that on commentary, it's like, WWE sent us a legal letter and and, and we have this footage we shot there and now we are, we're going to let you decide if we show it or not at Turning Point. So you go to the website and vote on whether or not we, we will show the cookie gate footage. And they're like, WWE are like, no, don't show it, send us to us. And uh, Bob Carter is just like, if they sue us, we have lawyers too. <laughs> That's big, uh, big Tony Khan. Uh, I have a lot more money than Jim Crockett. <laughs> vibe. Yeah, Bob. So they did eventually show it on the pay per view. It's like when you see the footage, it does make WWE look exceptionally stupid because it's the most harmless thing in the world. It's such, a, it's such an easy little prank. It is like the ultimate of like, don't sell the rib. It's like, guys, you sold the rib as much as you could possibly sell the rib. Uh, I I love I'm reading like a bit more about like what went on, mm-hmm. and I think like my favorite one there is that they saw that Vince was out there by himself. Yeah, and they were like, "Should we go like film something?" But they're all such cowards that they didn't. <laughs> yeah, so they, like Vince was there, they saw him, they like huddled, and then they like apparently they did decide we should go film something, but then Vince never came back. Ah, <laughs> oh, that would have been perfect. Imagine that world. In a in a just world, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall would have agreed to be a part of it mm. instead of turning down the request, and Vince would have been there, and Nash would have gone up to Vince. Yeah, because they did ask Hall and Nash to be in this one, but Hall and Nash were like, "Nah, they want jobs still." <laughs> that is true. The two people that were shown, like you can make them out, there was Luther Reigns and there was Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio more obviously evident than Luther Reigns. Ray didn't give a shit. He's like, they're not gonna fire me. Yeah, even BG like makes a little quip. It's like, you're fired. And Ray just laughs and chuckles. Because like, Conan's Ray's boy, so I'd imagine he's like coming out to chat with Conan. Yeah, I think kind of probably just like texted him. It's like, listen, we need someone out here to make us look cool that we actually got somebody to show up. And this is Ray Mysterio's only TNA appearance. So there you go. So, yeah, they, I think they kind of wanted like a confrontation, but like, the guys that they end up talking to are apparently like Jericho, Guerrero, Benoit, Mysterio, and they were just like friendly. <laughs> mm. And like the only other people and on camera were like production assistants and Luther Reigns. Luther Reigns. Also his only TNA appearance, I believe. This is fun. This is a fun segment. Yeah, it's a good bit. It's good antics. I'm on board with it. I see. I, I love TNA as an antics promotion above all else. Mm, and they did a bunch of skits on the pay-per-view where they had a fake Vince and a fake Triple H try to invade Turning Point to steal the tape back. It's perfect. <laughs> the fake Vince played by Brian Welch, one of the office workers, and the fake Triple H played by Johnny Devine. Yeah. Ah, so that's who it was. Big Johnny Devine. Who was Vince? Uh, Brian Welch, an office worker. Uh, he, had, he had great man- mannerisms. I, I enjoyed Giant Divine's Triple H as well. He had, a, he had a better voice impression than the Vince. Yeah. It's good stuff. I love that shit. Do you think they walked around backstage being like, do a Triple H impression? Nah. Do a Triple H impression? Nah. Giant no, Divine's no, like, but, Game! but I can imagine once, once they were in um, costume, I hope they acted like Vince and Triple H the whole day. Because mm. yeah, they, they, they arrive at the show, they see Mikey Bats, Vince tries to fire Mikey Bats. Then like yeah. he, they see a production assistant with a tape. He smashes the tape, and it turns out it's just the best of D-Ray three thousand. <laughs> uh, this is this is a bunch of scenes. It's good stuff. It's good again. Good antics. Well done, TNA. Well, I can imagine everyone's seen this at this point, but maybe it is a little gem. Yeah, because like it's on one of the early pay views as well. It's not like Spike era, so I think a lot of the stuff pre Spike is stuff that just flies under the radar, and people forget about this kind of stuff. 
I say I've seen this because it was on like the 50 best TNA moments DVD. Yeah, with your your Toby Keith moments and your Tennessee Titan moments. Remember the Titans? I, I do. I remember those Titans. I don't. I haven't seen the movie. Hey, Garrett. When um, we're just remind everyone when they are plo- po- playing Pokemon, you know, and they're doing their gym leader challenges and they're they're running around and they're doing the the Team Star stuff. That they also have to remember the Titans. Ah, yes, it's very important. Jeff Jarrett hosted a party for roughly 30 wrestlers and friends in his hotel room following the Victory Road pay-per-view. I bet he did. Uh, Kevin Nash attended the party and spent a ton of time telling Jarrett and others that he and Hall were back to stick it up Vince McMahon's ass. (laughs) Nash also said that while he, Hall, and Jarrett would make a lot of money, there would also be plenty left over for other wrestlers. (laughs) I love Kevin Nash so much. A number of wrestlers who were originally hoping that Hall and Nash would spearhead a power struggle with Jarrett are now bickering because Hall and Nash are featured so prominently with Jarrett. Hall has told friends that he signed a contract for eight appearances. After the impact taping, he made a point of saying, two down. What else are you going to do, Scott Hall? (laughs) Says one frustrated TNA wrestler, this place has turned into WCW all over again, except it's Hall, Nash and Jarrett instead of Hall, Nash and Hogan. The only time Jeff has ever been compared to Hulk Hogan. (laughs) On the topic of the Hulkster, the word on Hulk Hogan is that he doesn't trust Jeff, but is tight with Jerry, who is a good, longtime good friend of Jimmy Hart, Hogan's closest ally in the business. There was no sign of Hogan at the following week's tapings after Victory Road, nor any mentions of him. And apparently Hogan is leaning against working for TNA, according to a source with knowledge of the situation. If he decides to join the company, it would be likely as a commissioner type rather than as a wrestler. This would be one way for Hogan to feel out the company before agreeing to actually wrestle for them. However, he has told people that he considers TNA to be worse off than WCW was during its dying days. Well, that's obvious. WCW was still on TNT and TBS in its dying days. (laughs) WCW was still on major networks and was doing a lot of numbers. Whereas TNA is on FSN with like 150,000 people watching every week. So Hogan apparently not coming in and if he was to come in he would be a commissioner but it's very very unlikely that TNA would pay Hulk Hogan money for Hulk Hogan just doing a commissioner role. Yeah that would never happen. Never ever ever. Uh, So our, our big power struggle comes to a head this month. In reaction to continued rumors of dissension between Jerry and Jeff Jarrett, Dixie Carter had a long talk with them at Tuesday's TV taping. This was in the middle of the month. It is not unusual to see Jeff or Jerry meet with Dixie, but it is unusual for all three to meet together at once. The the discussion lasted well over an hour. Carter also had a long talk with other office workers, perhaps in part trying to find out the source of some of the rumors about political infighting in TNA. Dixie, who, by the way, is eight months pregnant at this stage, is like wandering around backstage being like, who is leaking all of this shit? Like, imagine being Dixie and having to be a part of this, like, family feud. Mm. So ridiculous. Again, eight months pregnant and you're stuck between petty wrestling bullshit. It's kind of a miracle that she stuck around so long. <laughs> that, that was Russo's point. It's like, once she has the kid, she's out of this. She can't possibly give a fuck about this nonsense when she has an actual thing to care about. Yeah, well, joke's on him. There were no major changes at that taping. Dutch Mantel and Jeremy Borsch were handling mostly, most of the bookings with Jarrett in the Stephanie McMahon role of overseeing and supervising the whole operation with Terry Taylor in the truck and Dusty just being a talent. Jeff Jarrett had confronted Jerry last Tuesday about word he was getting about Jerry trying to oust him from power. So this next line, mm-hmm. this quote, mm-hmm. um, Jerry Jarrett, fuck you. <laughs> you piece of garbage. You can make an argument before we read what the next line is. 
You can re- make an argument that Jerry is intervening for the long-term sake of the company. Oh, I'm doing a big old jack-off side right now. <laughs> because the company is burning money at a historic rate and the characters aren't happy. However, <laughs> the next line, Jerry sees this as a great time to steal power as Jeff is tending to his wife whose cancer has come back. That is your daughter-in-law, you fucking rat. Bad, bad, bad. Bad, 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 bad. Also, if the company goes under, who gives a fuck? Surely family should be more important. It's your fucking daughter-in-law, you dog. <laughs> Especially when you think about it's not even their money anymore. If it was their money, it would still be a real problem. Sure, it's like the family business failing. Yeah, they still own a percentage of the company, so I guess they do have a financial stake, but it's the Carter's money now. So, like, who gives a fuck? Also, Jerry, you got your fucking, like, real estate or whatever the hell business, your car, whatever the fuck it was. He's, yeah, he works in real estate. You're fine. The feeling is that Jerry doesn't believe in the office staff that Jeff has assembled, and that had, that's been one of the big talking points. TNA has an office staff filled with guys who should not be running an office, says one TNA source. For months, Jerry Jarrett has been dropping details into conversations with people about the changes he'd make if he gained power, so the rumours last week of him making a power play came as no surprise to many within TNA. So we do have the big change, middle of the month, starting from November 19th, Dusty Rhodes does replace Jeff Jarrett (laughs) as head booker of TNA. I like how this comes off. Dusty has no booking power, he's just a talent. He's just hanging around, chilling out. Oh no, Dusty's head booker. It's amazing. I like... This is... The great thing about TNA at this point is it's truly a a combatant of uh, two people who don't lose. Mm Mm-hmm. You're seeing it's Jeff Jarrett and it's Dusty Rhodes, and they're <laughs> both fighting for the for the title of king of not losing in this business. And it turns out for now, Dusty Rhodes is winning. I also I I didn't remember the exact date Dusty took over. I knew it was sometime this month, but I was watching the impact that has Scott Hall and AJ Styles in the main events. Like Dusty has taken over. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking it was actually the week before that he took over, but you can tell it feels like a real wrestling show. <laughs> Yeah, you can see it's like stuff suddenly starts happening on Impact, a show where famously nothing happens. It's like, oh, you get Styles and Hall in the main event, and the next week you get Jarrett and Monty in the main event, and then it's all of a sudden, oh yeah, we have a new booker now, for sure. (laughs) We have allegedly entered the good era? Mm Mm-hmm. Wow. Let's see how that goes. Dusty told the wrestlers that he has a different vision for TNA's booking than Jeff Jarrett, and he would begin to implement changes over the next few tapings, though he didn't get specific about what the changes would be. And a thing that ruffled a lot of wrestlers the wrong way, he did tell the wrestlers that they need to show respect for Scott Hall and Kevin Nash because of what they have done in their careers and for the rub they are giving the company. Apparently a lot of the no-name wrestlers were like, blah, 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 blah. I'm Mikey Bats. I'm so sad that I have to show respect to Scott Hall. But it must be nice to be Kevin Nash and Scott Hall and just be able to, like, walk into any company and be jerked off so thoroughly. Mm, you command or demand respect, not just command it. You do demand it. Because you got to be in a group with Hulk Hogan. Not everyone welcomed that comment with open arms. Actually, you know what? I can't let that stand. <laughs> I said it specifically to get a reaction. To be fair to Hall and Nash... They made Hogan cool, <laughs> not the other way around. It's like, if it was just Hogan turning heel without, like, the coolness that Hall and Nash brought next to him, <laughs> that thing flops. It's just a Hulk Hogan heel turn. Who gives a shit? But Hall and Nash were cool. 
Well, I'm um, holding Nashan in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, so uh, shut up, Garrett. <laughs> I, I I nearly didn't give you your thing. I nearly just moved right on. <laughs> I was I was giddy when you were like, wait a minute. Not everyone welcomed that comment about them needing to welcome Hall and Nashan. I'd be happy. Not everyone on this podcast welcomed that comment from Liam about <laughs> Hulk Hogan being the reason they were popular. Considering some TNA regulars aren't pleased with how Hall and Nash seem to treat TNA as a joke during their on-air commentary, it's actually quite funny, so shut up. Uh, yeah, it's actually great. <laughs> Nash does not give a single fuck this month, and it is quite amusing. One of my favorite lines from Nash this whole month was when he was introducing the Kings of Wrestling name. Mm-hmm. Because he just said it like, and we've got a new group, and the new group is the Kings of Wrestling, and... <laughs> Uh, we're here to take over, and we're going to take over this company. <laughs> he said it exactly like that. There was no passion or emotion in his voice. He was just saying the lines. If you go back and listen to me earlier recapping the Best Damn Sports Show... <laughs> Which, why would you? Dash said, said the name of his stable with the exact same amount of enthusiasm. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, and <laughs> he's just leaning on the ropes 24-7. Mm-hmm. But, like, every like little bit of in-ring action, he's been, like, bumping around, so... He's only working once a month, so he's like, yeah, I'll take a bump yeah. or two. Yeah, when AJ does a run-in, he'll bump for him. Mm. He won't give a bump for free, though. <laughs> we'll talk about all that when we get to the shows. There's a lot of Nash antics. It's very fun. Dusty and Agent Jerry Lynn met separately later with the X Division wrestlers, explaining to them that he feels their characters have been underdeveloped and he wanted to change that. He told them that they are great athletes, but he wanted them to slow down and tell better stories in their matches. Suck a dick. <laughs> he said that was their role, and his role would be to give them more character development and promo time to get over. I mean, that's fair. Like, they do need more character time, but don't slow down. You're the only interesting thing on these shows. <laughs> he said if they can't get over, he'll shake their hand for giving it a try, but let them go. Jesus. D- Dusty's ruthless. Yeah, Dusty's cutting the, like, the, the Eric Bischoff, if you don't want to be here, go, bro. That was apparently, like, what the actual comparison was. Is people were like, the, 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 some people took it well, and some people took it like a big Dusty Rara speech to let's kick it on to another level, and some people were like, geez, the ego on this guy. I mean, it's Dusty Rhodes, mm. though, you know? And Dutch Mantel remains du- Dusty's booking assistant, although he will probably have less influence over booking matters with Dusty than he did working with Jeff God. Jarrett. Good. Jeff Jarrett was said to be in good spirits, although he fought for the booking job. Once it was taken from him, he seemed to realize a big weight had been lifted from his shoulders. See, that's what I'm interested because, like, you obviously know the answer to this, but I don't. I'm interested to see in how Jarrett's role changes with someone else in charge of booking. Hmm. Because this is the last time until 2017 that Jarrett basically has the book. Yeah, which is like kind of a momentous occasion that we've reached. Because he always has influence. He's always in the room. But this is the last time that it's like Jeff Jarrett had control of creative until he's brought back in 2017 for like three or four months. So people think of like him as or think of TNA as like his product. It was only really his product for about a year because it was Jerry's mostly at the start. Russo. Then you had kind of like the Russo influence on the team. And then basically from like October 2003 to November 2004, it was Jarrett's creative vision. And that's the period where it stunk. But that sucked. Yeah. (laughs) So like if you still want to like criticize it and criticize him as a booker, like I get it. But, you know, relative to the company's existence, it was a very short time. Mm, So only for about a year 
And if you include the 2017 stuff, about a year and a half of the company's 20-year history was like Jeff Jarrett's creative vision. Does like Scott Demore have more booking like credit to his name at this point? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so there you go. It's like there's a bunch of people who who have technically had more influence on the booking of TNA than Jeff Jarrett. Mm, even like Eric Bischoff. Yeah, Hogan. <laughs> For better and worse. Mostly worse. Well, like, listen, you want to insult Jeff Jarrett's booking, at least Jarrett, it didn't fucking immediately, like, sink it. Mm. Because Hogan and Bischoff came in and... <laughs> Uh, Rhodes didn't make many friends via his first meeting with the wrestlers. A number of wrestlers were insulted by the way Rhodes put over Hall, Nash, and Savage as the reasons viewers ordered the pay-per-view. This is like when fucking Kid Cash is complaining about AJ Styles getting money. <laughs> oh, we're going to have some things to say about BG James later in the show, trust me. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. I just cracked my knuckles, like, instinctively, because we're talking about BG James. One wrestler pointed out that Savage wasn't even advertised for the pay-per-view and that they noted wrestlers such as Jeff Hardy, Raven, and BG James and other members of the roster also sold their share of pay-per-views. Well, some of those people did, yeah. Rhodes' new philosophy is to run fewer matches on TV and make the matches longer and try to slow down the X-Division matches with the old make-the-spots-mean-more ideas. I don't agree with the X-Division stuff, but I do agree with less matches on these shows. Some of them, on this one-hour impact, have six matches. Yeah, like, let things breathe a little bit. There's a bunch of matches that just end up going 90 seconds. It's the dynamite problem. Mm. Just, like, let things breathe a bit. Give space, because it inherently will make things feel more important. He also emphasised letting guys have more interview time, and that the guys who can't pick up the slack on their interviews will eventually be replaced by those who can. Yeah, well, Dusty's definitely... A Dusty book promotion is definitely going to have emphasis on the, on the promos. Mm. The positive is a lot of wrestlers know that there will be long-term angles. Apparently, Dusty planned out his first six months in advance. So hopefully, knowing where they're going, they can tell the stories as opposed to the past where the top guy may have two or three weeks of knowledge of where they're going. But most everyone else didn't know until they showed up at TV. Well, it's definitely an interesting time yeah. in TNA. And I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the next month. Like, realistically, I think anybody who listened to this show for the last year of this show covering stuff... Knows how much we hated it. <laughs> yeah, knows that we haven't been particularly hot on Jeff Jarrett as a booker. So, any change no. to that, thumbs up. Like, we would have been as excited about the idea of Russo getting full control mm. to show you how little we loved the Jeff Jarrett era. Yeah, literally, we, we kind of baby-faced Vince Russo on the way out just based on how bad the Jarrett and Mantel reign was. Which is, like, insane. As you get, Dutch Mantel is another one of those annoying cunts who keeps on tweeting. <laughs> oh my god. I'm gonna... Did you see that he, like, he either learned how to rip off someone's video, or he paid someone to make an AEW botching, like, highlight reel. And I don't know which version is sadder. <laughs> Like, we watched this year of television that you you didn't have the book, you were booking assistant to Jarrett, but it fucking stunk. So you go away. Yeah. I just want to, like, add Dutch Mantel and say 2014 they sucked. <laughs> <laughs> Dutch Mantel's tweeting about Teddy Hart. <sighs> Have you watched that documentary? Um, not yet. I, I probably will. TNA announced on Tuesday a decision to cut back its TV taping schedule to every other week in Orlando, Florida, saving up to 100000 per month as a result. This is one of those things where it's like Jerry gets control and cuts back from a TV taping a week to the TV taping every two weeks, and it's like... You were really going down there to Orlando to tape an hour of TV every week? What is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. 
I, I don't know. That seems a lot. Because <laughs> I, I think at one stage they eventually get to, they tape the entire pay-per-view cycle in two days. Which is like, yes, do that! <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? Going down there, flying everybody. Because they'll, they'll still be paying people for working twice. So if they like wrestle two matches on the show, they'll they'll get paid for two matches. That's good. What they are saving is like flying everybody down and setting up production every single week. Like that cuts. If you do that every two weeks instead of every week, you save lots of money. <laughs> That's good. I, I mean, anything that's saving money at this point is probably for the best. Mm. Yard, I have a couple more Dutch Mantel tweets. Oh God! <laughs> at Dirty D Mantel number twenty-one. Before I get a bunch of woke snowflakes pissed off at me, I just want to say good morning, all you Elon Musk fans. What? <laughs> what? Okay. Seems like at Twitter has severe problems right now. Elon is trying to right the ship, so to speak. The question is, can Elon pull them through? Can he do it, or are you ready to unhitch yourself? <laughs> What's... What? Huh? What? Of course, addicted to botches, AEW has the best. It's just the best. Uh, say what you want about Vince. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but say this too, he was a heat magnet. Yep. Uh, I love you, Dutch Mantel. The plan is to tape two editions of Impact at each taping and shift Explosion from containing first-run material to being more of a best-of-show. I think they stick to the... This is where the have-one-match-and-show-highlights-of-Impact Explosion format comes in. Wrestlers Mm -hmm. have been told that they will get paid the same for working one double taping as they did for working two single tapings. The move is considered to be the first of what could be a series of cost-cutting measures implemented by Jerry Jarrett now that he has regained power within the company. I like that people are like, this is the end. (laughs) Well, it kind of is. Like, the, the the reason, like, Jerry could pull this power play is that the characters are getting cold feet at this stage. That Like, they're getting angsty about the amount of money they're pouring into this company without any potential return, like, inside. Does this investment ever make money for them? Well, no. Like, there's a period where TNA is profitable on Spike before they start blowing it all on Hulk Hogan-related nonsense. There's, like, mm. a very slim period in, like, 09 where the company is profitable. And that's about it. It made a loss for pretty much most of its entire existence. A substantial one as well in the the Carter's pocket. It must have just become like, even though it isn't their business, like their family business, right? That had to be the only reason they still cared about it. Because ultimately it became Dixie's thing. And that, yeah. that's really what kept it alive more than anything else. Yeah. The wrestlers are reacting in paranoia at the news that the company has decided to reduce the number of television tapings by holding bi-weekly tapings. I, I, I kind of don't get that. Because like... Again, it's madness that they were flying everybody down there to do a taped show. It's not like they were flying everyone down there to do a live impact. That would make at least some degree of sense. I just think that wrestlers don't know how money works. Yeah, they were flying everybody down there every week to tape an impact. It's like, what on earth is wrong with you guys? (laughs) Yeah. Some see it as a sign that the company is going out of business, which to be fair, they're right. The company is pouring money down the hole. Others point out that Dixie Carter was urged to give a locker room pep talk at the pay-per-view to assure the crew that their, her family was still committed to the project when she did not meet with wrestlers. Some saw it as a sign that she doesn't have respect for their concerns, while others fear that she didn't hold such a meeting because she doesn't know what the future holds. Do you think it might be because she's eight months pregnant and this money in this company is, like, pissing money? Yeah. The cost cutting continues as Jerry Jarrett attempts to extend the time frame the character family gives the, to the promotion, which is the, the argument for Jerry doing the power play. That, like, as the company stands, 
there's probably very little time left and Jerry is trying to slash costs so that at least the money the characters are spending is less than they were spending and they might give the company a slightly longer leash. And the key is just give it all to Dixie. (laughs) Besides the decision to cut back the tapings from every week to every two weeks, now the number of wrestlers being brought in to TV each week has been cut back. Again, it's another one of those things where you see, like, they're taping the, what, three to five matches for Impact every week. And then usually they tape another three with people who are just flown in for those matches. And you're like, again, what are you doing? Not all of this um, TV production... Mm was formed with economical ideas in mind. (laughs) Uh, Some might say the very opposite. A lot of weeks where Raven has flown in. Raven would have, like, probably the top-earning wrestlers, but flown in just to work an explosion match. And you're like, why? Like, unless he's injured, Raven should be on this show every week. Mm. So 3L crew, for instance, were not flown into Orlando for a taping, and even Sharkboy, who's a local wrestler, wasn't used just to save on the payday. Oh, thank God we're saving Sharkboy's payday. We were really going to go under if we had to pay Sharkboy his 400 bucks. Uh, TNA appears to be going with a, a scaled-back crew as one of the many corners that are being cut. It appears that while wrestlers who work two matches at, t- at one taping may get the same payday as they got when they worked two matches over two weeks, fewer wrestlers are going to be brought into taping, so the net effect is that most wrestlers won't get the same level of pay with this new schedule. They are also considering moving the tapings to weekends, so that they would get a better crowd, because some of the universal crowds have been pretty inconsistent because they tape on, I think, Tuesdays. So there's not there's more people at Universal on a Saturday than there is on a Tuesday. But also, wrestlers are like, you're not cutting back on the schedule and then cutting into our weekend indie dates. Fuck that. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out. So yeah, at this point, they have turning point scheduled for December. They have final resolution scheduled for January. And they have against all odds scheduled for February. And that's as far as they have scheduled right now. And a lot of wrestlers were thinking, oh, geez, is, is that like the time we have left? And that's when they're going to run TNA Big Bang. <laughs> Eric Bischoff will turn the company around. They should have sold it to Eric Bischoff. Uh, no, they shouldn't. Uh, a number on Victory Road. <laughs> it did about 35,000 buys on pay-per-view, which I think is among the most bought pay-per-views in TNA history. Might even be the most bought pay-per-view in TNA history. Also at the much higher price point of $30 rather than 10 So it was a, a reasonable success for the company. Well, Tony Khan's Ring of Honor is just crushing <laughs> TNA. <laughs> Uh, well, Ring of Honor is advertised on a much larger television platform, to be fair. Oh, yeah. Excuses, excuses, mate. That excuse won't stand when TNA have a million viewers and still do 30,000 yeah. buys, but... <laughs> I was thinking that, like, I was like, what you... wasn't there this little thing called Spike TV at some point? At the moment, while they currently have, like, 150,000 viewers to 200, they, they're getting... Which is pretty good, like, that's that's over 10% buy on the baby. That's pretty solid. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Uh, Randy Savage made a list of demands before he'd returned to TNA. Among Great. the demands are that he is to, to taken to and from the shows in a limousine, which I guess is why they have 15 limousines at every episode of Impact now. Like, well, we might as well use them. That Brian Adams can be at the shows as his bodyguard, paid, by the way. Also, Ron Harris, apparently, that he has two paid security at all shows. That he have a private dressing room with a lock on the door. And that Jimmy Hart doesn't come anywhere near him in the backstage area because of his relationship with Hulk Hogan. Savage is so paranoid of Hart that he insisted that Hart not be allowed in the gorilla position or the production truck during his matches. Apparently, Savage is concerned that Hart would attempt to sabotage him from a production standpoint in some manner. Garrett, I have a question. Go for it. Is Jimmy Hart there? 
Yeah, he's like a backstage guy. He's not there every week these days, but he does pop up every so often helping out backstage and whipping up fans at Universal. I love the idea that like Jimmy Hart's not even a part of the company. <laughs> and Randy Savage is like, You keep Jimmy Hart away from me and they're like, Randy, we don't like Jimmy's like barely here and like, No, you keep him away. It's like, Oh, we fired him for you, Randy. It's like he wasn't here in the first place, but we fired him for you. <laughs> and we and we kicked him out on the way out just for you, man. Apparently, Savage has not taken off his jacket in front of anybody, which has led to rumors and speculation that he isn't as muscular as he used to be, uh, which you can see on the pay-per-view. He, like, he's not in terrible shape, but apparently like he had uh, extreme body issues like it brought on by Vince McMahon just being like, be big, be big. Time to cycle back on. Because like, you watch him when he does take the jacket off on the pay-per-view and come out, he, he's, he's not Randy Savage anymore. I mean, yeah, but like, do you really expect him to be? Hmm. I think that's kind of an unrealistic expectation at this point. But perhaps it isn't if you're booking him and promoting him as such. Yeah, when you're bringing him in as the the, the top guy, your top challenger for the world champion Jeff Jarrett main eventing pay-per-views, you, you do need him to be at least some degree of Randy Savage still. Yeah. Apparently he was uh, less on guard and more like joking around with wrestlers more later in the month when he showed up. It's like, Hogan's not here. Jimmy Hart's not here. He, We're good. He's calmed down. And the final news though, Billy Gunn is expected to sign a TNA contract once his 90-day no-compete clause expires. Thank God, Kip James. There has been talk of having him feud or team with BG James. Did you know that the BG and BG James stands for Billy Gunn? Whoa, that's long-term storytelling. Hmm. I mean, I'm way more into into Bill Gunn than I am Road Dog. I was going to say, it would be interesting to like go to the alternate reality where Billy Gunn isn't like a television star in AEW at the acclaimed right now to get like yeah. that Liam's reaction to news that Billy Gunn is coming in. I think it would be a lot less positive. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't fault the man for having a, a good back end to his career. Yeah, for becoming a star all over again. Like, I was never like a giant Billy Gunn fan. I think I always like appreciated him, but... It is astonishing that he's, like, managed to be a part of, like, a billion hot acts. <laughs> yeah, and especially this TNA one coming up. Oh, the James Hickenbottom! <laughs> oh, I hope WWE demand to hand over that tape, too. They should, they should, and then TNA should do it. <laughs> Just to save us all from it. At the Alamo! <laughs> You've Got to Be Kidding Me is brought to you this week by HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. The holidays are just around the corner, and HelloFresh makes this busy time of year easier than ever, with chef-crafted recipes and pre-portioned ingredients delivered right to your door, so you can spend less time meal planning and prepping. Save money on dinner with HelloFresh and put it toward your holiday shopping. HelloFresh is cheaper than grocery shopping and 25% less expensive than takeout. I know personally, balancing work, this podcast, and assorted holiday activities, including shopping, which I probably haven't started yet and should really get on, but HelloFresh is a lifesaver in terms of giving you some of that time back, taking the thought and effort out of having to think of what am I going to do for dinner today, and then it, it takes the temptation of you taking the lazy and cheap way out because there's HelloFresh sitting there giving you a fresh and healthy alternative without you having to think about the recipe, what you're going to make, or how you're going to make it, or how you're going to find the time, or how you're going to fit into your day. All that stress removed, gone, vanished. Go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW70 and use the code VOW70 for 70% off plus shipping. 
That's HelloFresh.com slash VOW70 using the code VOW70. Alrighty, that leads us into the shows, starting with the not main event feud for Turning Point, the semi-main event feud, the Kings of Wrestling against Jeff Hardy, AJ Styles, and Randy Savage. K-O-W, King, K-O-W, King, Kings of Wrestling. There was a note in, like, the torch being like, (laughs) can't believe how generic the name Kings of Wrestling is, and then it's like, Uh. Ring of Honor choose it for a tag team as well. Uh, well, I think they were a CCW team first, weren't they? I don't know wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> you should. You've been, like, watching it for, like, decades. Listen, being old does not give you any expertise in anything. So we learn in life. Uh, I mean, like, I, I get it. It's funny because it wasn't, like, one guy in the crowd when they announced it that was like, that name sucks! <laughs> it's funny, when you, when you sit down and watch, like, quiz shows and you see an old person, it's like, they've been old. They should have accumulated knowledge. And then you see it's like, no, they haven't. Ah, well. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they're not my kings of wrestling, but I appreciate it. Mm. God, imagine the real kings of wrestling versus, like, AMW. Or the real kings of wrestling against, like, Randy Savage and AJ Styles. <laughs> Oh my god. Is Sarah Del Rey the third in the in the six man? Yeah, sure. Sarah Del Rey working with Jeff Hardy. Oh, the dream. First day battle of the month, November 12th, 2004. We had the Kings of Wrestling. Well, Mike Tanay was in the ring first. He was hyping up how great Victory Road was before the Kings of Wrestling interrupted. Jarrett Hall and Nash walked out to the ring. Um, it's a, I mean, they strike a powerful image, don't they? Well, Hall and Nash do. Jarrett's there too. It's so funny how he's like so clearly like a tag along. He is the third wheel on the Kings of Wrestling to tag team as the NWA champion TNA star. And he's not cool at all. No, he's lame. He's terrible. Because it's like we're literally talking about how Hall and Nash dragged Hogan up. At least Hogan like eventually met their level with like the luck of Hollywood Hogan. And yeah. Jeff Jarrett cannot. No, there's no, there's no Hollywood Jeff Jarrett. So Kevin Nash gets a microphone. And everything after that is perfect. So Nash's promo here was meant to be five minutes. He ended up talking for 15. Is this the one where, like, he says something vaguely derogatory to a woman in the front row? And Scott Hall's like, it's okay, they can edit out what they don't like on the mic. And they lift it in. Yeah, because Nash starts this promo with, like, a little quip that's like, oh, I'm not used to this, no one gave me a script. And then Hall leans over to him. It's like, it's not live. They'll edit it if they don't like it. Then <laughs> they left it in. They did. It's a good bit. I, I approve of them leaving it in. It's a good bit to leave in that they'll edit it out, I suppose. Says they won't miss Turning Point on December 5. Nash quips that he doesn't have a script. He then gives a list, a history lesson on his career. Or he jumped to the WWF with Diesel. They did the NWO in WCW. Then they cut the Hall rolling his eyes at the words WCW. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so eye-rolling to hear these two talk about their careers at this point. Mm. I've seen too many shoot interviews. Then he officially dubbed them the Kings of Wrestling. No, no. You said that with too much excitement. Please say it correctly. He um, officially dubs them the Kings of Wrestling? Yeah, there you go. There you go. He up-talked at the end, which Kevin Nash would never do. But <laughs> he would trail off. It'd be, um, uh, yeah, it's the Kings of Wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> the highlight of this promo, you don't actually hear the heckle. But I assume somebody in the crowd said something to the extent of shut up and wrestle. I, I heard the heckle. What was the heckle? The heckle was, uh, it, it was very similar to that. It, I believe it was just, when are we going to see you wrestle? And then Nash turns around to the guy in the crowd and says the words, Son, 
if you're telling me to wrestle, then you haven't watched much of my career. <laughs> oh, God bless Big Kev. I love Big Sexy so much. I hope there's never a point where I get sick of him in this run. Mm. Because I love him so much right now. There's only one person in the history of wrestling who can make you like them more by caring less. And it is Big Kev. Yeah. The less he cares, the more entertaining the man gets. He worked it out far too late in his career, but... Yeah. Yeah, we are the podcaster who will sit here and say that Kevin Nash cared too much in WCW. <laughs> yeah, if he cared less, he would have been much more entertaining. Yeah, Dave. Lee. <laughs> Says the roster should thank them for guaranteed money. Which then drew an incredible Mike Tanay face. It's so mean. And even at the end of the promo, like Jarrett does a promo as well, who cares? He cuts a little promo about how they'll leave Savage in a pool of his own blood, how Hogan ran from Hall, Nash and Jarrett, and how they'll take out TNA's top dogs before the end of the show. Blah. But then Kevin Nash ends the promo being like doing the one million dollars face with his pinky finger on his lips. And it's just like <laughs> sensational. Imagine having that much natural charisma flow through you. Imagine, like, not caring so much that you come out more charismatic. Uh, effortlessly cool. Which brings us to the opposite of effortlessly cool. <laughs> Someone who, like, at a point was cool, I suppose, for a certain demographic, mm. but with so much effort behind it. <laughs> so BG James came unglued after Kevin Nash's longer-than-scripted promo caused his Impact match to be cut short at the November 9th tapings. Right after this match, Tree Life Crew defeated Jason Static, Justin Cage, and Scotty Matthews. James, who was agitated and in a bad mood even before the taping began, was upset in part because he and Conan were left lying by Team Canada following their match. James showed his frustration in front of fans by throwing his tag title belt into the tunnel before storming backstage. Um, I have a quick question. Shoot. Wasn't BG James the guy who got real mad at Sasha? Oh, was he? He probably did, yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. Just, just wanted to reaffirm that. Mm -hmm. Once there, he sounded off on Jeff Jarrett, Dutch Mantel, Bob Ryder, and America's Most Wanted. James was upset that Tree Live Crew was left lying by Hall and Nash at the pay-per-view. Although he didn't agree with management's decision to put his team in that position, he was more upset that they were not given a chance to address the attack in an Impact promo. Jarrett told James that he had Trail Kate take the beating to put heat on the heels, but James said he's sick of his team always being put in that position. When Mantel tried to intervene, James threatened to punch him if he said a word. Mantel quickly walked away. BG James was in fine spirits at the following week's tapings, joking about his meltdown last week. There is more details about this meltdown that are a great deal less flattering. Ah, uh, here's a little... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A quote from BG James on the Sasha Walker. Oh, go on. Uh, there was business differences and sorry to announce we had to take the titles from them we're holding a tournament. You know what I mean? To me, that's how you leave it and you don't air dirty laundry because some of that dirty goes back on you. Oh, does it now? Ah, jokes on you, Garrett. He was actually talking about WWE in that quote. He's a Sasha defender all along. Workers' rights, says Road Dog. 
Actually, Garrett, I have a, I have a backup quote. <laughs> oh, sure. Go for it. Sasha, same, same. Entertaining young lady, great wrestler, great professional wrestler, but had some stuff in the past where she bucked up against the system a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, BJ James would never buck up against no system. No, he's the company man. Company bear through it through. During his rant at the November 9 TV tapings, BG James was harshest on Bob Ryder, Chris Harris, and James Storm. He sounded off about his team always playing second fiddle to AMW in terms of the way the teams are portrayed in the storylines. Have you tried being as good as AMW? No, they never would. <laughs> he pointed out that AMW get promos and video packages and other perks and are, are attributed the favoritism to Ryder using his influence to get his favorites a better push, even going so far as to accuse Harrison Storm of granting Ryder sexual favors in exchange for their push. BG James sucks. He also, while complaining about the Tree Live Crew push, said that we're pushed like a derogatory gay slur. <laughs> He's. He, uh, the problem was, like, there, there's a lot of, of people who apparently came up to BG. It's like, that, that needed to be said. It's what, like, throwing slurs and accusations at James Storm and Chris Harris. I'm sorry that they, like, they try and they go out there and they deliver and they get pushed because of it. It's it's the thing where like it it's even kind of the same thing with Hall and Nash where it's like they get lots of attention why don't we get attention it's like they get attention because they're Scott Hall and Kevin Nash it's like it's the very same principle with AMW it's like why are these guys getting pushed and not us it's like those guys are getting pushed because they're the best tag team in the history of the company and they have consistently yeah. been the best tag team in the history of the company and are thus pushed as such you tree like crew go out there and you can't even have a good five minute wrestling matches but we were stars in 1997 <laughs> that's the thing that's all it comes back to we used to be stars and you're not anymore you have a catchphrase that even like the crowd aren't even super into the ladies and gentlemen catchphrase they don't even give a shit about that in dna don't worry Gary. we're almost at the end <laughs> He told both wrestlers that AMW are over-pushed and overrated, and referred to them as Bob Ryder's fluff boys. <sighs> BG James hates gay people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, observers do not expect management to fire James, and several wrestlers have vowed to stand up in his defense by meeting with Dixie Carter if anything should happen. Okay. Uh, well, there you go. <laughs> There's a lot more notes in the show notes if you'd like to read more about BG James going off. Come on, James Storm, can't you just kick his ass? At the same time BG James was sounding off after his match, Conan and Raven had a brief altercation. Great, let's go. <laughs> the tension between the two wrestlers had been building for months as Conan had, has made it clear that he considers Raven to be a prima donna. After his match, Conan walked backstage where Raven was having a conversation with Jerry Jarrett at the gorilla position. Conan shoved Raven with his shoulder, to which Raven responded with a shove. Chris Daniels grabbed Conan while Raven stood next to Jerry Jarrett. Raven flipped off Conan for the next minute or two while Daniels and Monty Brown <laughs> tried to keep Conan cool. Christopher Daniels, he's always too close to the fight. What can you say? <laughs> he's always separating these backstage incidents, isn't he? But Garrett, um, why wasn't this gigantic news? And why why wasn't everyone calling for every side to be fired? And why was there an internal investigation? Yeah, at the same time, BG is like lobbing gay slurs backstage and accusing people of... Doing sexual favors to get their push, even though they're far and away the best team in company history. While Conan is yeah. also like getting into it at the very same time with Raven, and like everyone's just like, ah. Oh, to bring things back to the Hall and Nash, 
Yeah, where it's the good stuff. It should come as no surprise to no one that Jeff Jarrett made the decision to align himself on camera with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. He knows they'd overshadow him, noted one source. They still do, even though they're standing next to each other. Yeah, but I suppose he's, like, hoping for the rub. However, Hall and Nash are not complaining about being paired with Jarrett on the air. Sources also believe that Hall and Nash will resign with the company once their eight-day contracts end, assuming the financial details can be worked out. Nash lives 45 minutes from Universal Studios, and Hall is just 15 minutes away. So they like the idea of having uh, fun a few times a month without having to travel. I mean, let's be real, that sounds awesome, doesn't it? It does sound like the dream, that literally you're 15 minutes away from work, you go there, you show up. Like, Hall does wrestle, Nash doesn't even do that, he sits there in a towel. Yeah, he doesn't even have to, like, bump. It's like 15 minutes of actual work, too. Although Nash is high on AJ Styles, he knows there wouldn't be money in working a match with them. However, Nash wants to work with Styles on camera, so an eventual Styles versus Hall singles feud is probably in the works. He's like, oh, listen, I can't keep up, don't worry about it. I appreciate that, though. Yeah. I like that, um, but also we could tell just from watching it that um, clearly Nash was high on AJ because he bumped huge for him. Yeah, he took a real bump for AJ. So main event of that show was AJ Styles and Jeff Hardy facing the Naturals. It was okay. It was a perfectly solid little match. Hardy threw Stevens over his shoulders into a Styles Clash. Pretty cool finish. Like he elevated him like a full flip into the Styles Clash. Then Jarrett attacked Styles and Hardy with a chair, allowing Hall to hit Styles with the razor's edge and Nash to hit Hardy with the jackknife simultaneously to go off the air. It's kind of like every interaction between these guys. What, where just baby faces get beaten up? Just like, you know, attack, beat up, end the show. <laughs> November 19th, we go full NWO, we're taking over. <laughs> it only took them a month. So, yeah, the Kings of Wrestling attack folks backstage, including Red comes out of a, a little trailer, jumps on Nash, and then Nash lawn darts him into the trailer, just like he did Rey Mysterio. Would have been a more apt spot to do a year ago, but okay. Why a year ago? When Red was still good. Oh, okay. He's just a guy now. But the idea is Red is like TNA's Ray, I guess. He was. He sure was. Jarrett defeated J-Rock in the opener. Hall and Nash were on commentary. I had to go back and re-watch this episode because I missed this match. It was so quick. <laughs> How did you miss the match? Like, I was watching it. I must have turned for half a second, turned back, and there wasn't a match. And then I went back to go put my ratings in for the AMW NYC match. And I was like, wait, there was a Jeff Jarrett J-Rock match? <laughs> yeah, Jarrett won with a stroke. I'm surprised. So Nash demanded that there be no surprises at this taping because him and Hall were on commentary. And then a limo arrived. <laughs> Just a spit in his face. Mm. So they were on commentary for most of the first half of the show. AMW faced the NYC. Hall and Nash were still on commentary. They were like, hey, why aren't they going to fight Triple X? They're a bunch of cowardly bitches. Uh, later in the show, a second limo arrived. And then Kings of Wrestling were in the production truck being like, no more surprise. Third limo arrives. <laughs> <laughs> I love, like, this is, we've finally reached TNA proper. You know what I mm -hmm. mean? I don't know if it's irony or if it's just poetic. But TNA arrived with Kevin Nash. <laughs> he brought the spirit. Kevin Nash and Dave Sahadi, the two people truly responsible for TNA. It's not wrong because the TNA humor that we've been dying for and that we love. I got like a lot of um, reaction on the tweet that I made about the, the Thanksgiving TNA clips. Because mm -hmm. I was like, this is why we're here. <laughs> this is why we want to cover TNA for angles and 
spots like this. Yeah, you get Kevin Nash this month. You get the Triple H Vince stuff this month. It's a lot of good TNA stuff. Them, them. Uh, you get them filming at like WWE's like while they're trying to film their fucking Royal Rumble thing. But like you get Nash here, and then like in the in the room, and then the guys like <laughs> to Jeff Jarrett, don't touch me again, or I'll sue you. And they cut back to to Nash and Hall going, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're very good. I enjoyed them. If um, Terry Taylor was in the production truck, they should have used him in, the, in that spot. Mm. So after the main event of that show, we, there was uh, Kid Cash and Cesarian against Sanjay Dotsiaki and Hector Garza, which is a match that they just ran back on the pay-per-view. Yeah. This Cash hits Siaki with a coconut to win. Sharkboy shows up and eventually gets a superfly splash. Stereos with Garza and Siaki. Before Kings of Wrestling arrive, stroke to Garza, razor's edge to Sharky, jackknife to Sanjay. Before the frankly pretty awesome babyface army of Randy Savage, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles come out to challenge into a six man tag team match. At it feels like a, like a good flow of generation here. You know what I mean? Like Savage, Hardy, Styles. It just feels like a natural progression a little bit. You get like the biggest babyface of like the late 80s, early 90s. The biggest babyface of like the late 90s, early 2000s. And probably what should have been the biggest babyface of like the late 2000s, early 2010s. Who then found out he was a tremendous heel. It turns out very strange. <laughs> uh, it's like um, like that realization we've been having a lot lately. Is where it's like... It's not like, oh man, these great babyfaces can play great heels. And it's like, no, they're just great wrestlers. Mm. <laughs> it's not like a, a heel face thing. It's just, oh, they're really good at what they do. And there are some people who are like much better. Like Styles for a long while was a much better babyface than a heel. But also he's a great wrestler. So he learned how to be a great heel too. Yeah. My favorite run ever is St- of Styles is a, him as a heel. In New Japan Pro Wrestling? Yeah. Which we will watch in Rain Which Takers. We'll get to covering soon. Yeah, there we go. Both <laughs> stereo plugs for the Patreon.com slash kidding me. Rain Takers. There you go. What's our next Rain Takers show, Garrett? Is it? It's World Tag League. If you insist on us doing World Tag League, it will be World Tag League. We can do a World Tag League. All right, because because we're recording this weekend anyway for um for Wrestling Society X, it makes sense to double shot it, I suppose. Let's do World Tag League. All right, so World Tag League will be coming your way on December 2nd, I think, or was it 12th? Some, sometime in December, you'll have the World Tag League finals from 2012. It might, probably, might be the last thing you get for the year. It will be, because the next thing will be Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. I also meant just, like, with this show, too. Because unless we're going to, like, record December 20th. Well, I figure we haven't locked these plans in yet, so we probably shouldn't on talk air about them. On-air production meeting. We'll do the final resolution episode. Which will be in two yeah. weeks. And then uh, the, two weeks after that, we'll have the Days of Thunder crossover with World Wrestling All-Stars, which we haven't officially locked in oh yet. Oh my god, we're confirming that. Maybe this isn't an on-air production meeting and we edited it out. We've been shouting at Dave and Lee. They probably won't want to do it after all we've said about them. But... Yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to run to some someone else. It's the classic, we'll work it into a shoot. <laughs> but uh, I, So yeah, I figure... Um, Final resolution, that, and then we'll come back in the new year with the first episode being against all odds. Sounds about right. But we'll see how that goes. Yeah, six-man tag at turning point. It will be Hall, Nash, and Jarrett versus Savage, Styles, and Hardy. Savage does do a little physicality here. He does drop Jarrett with a punch. I was going to say, like, well, so you think it'll be that six-man tag. <laughs> I enjoyed as Savage made the challenge. Savage music then started playing, and Nash started playing his theme on an air guitar, or chair guitar, I guess. He, he does not give a shit at all, and it's so cool. <laughs> the man is just coasting and having a good time. And he does it for, like, the next eight years. So, November 26 opens with my least favorite segment this month. Oh, yeah? So, there's a bunch of X Division guys either side of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's door. <laughs> How do you hate this segment? I, like, 
I, I don't mind it in like it being silly, but in the way they presented this, I think it's so stupid. I mean, yeah, it doesn't make them look cool, mm. but it does make them look dumb, and Kevin Nash delivers a great performance here. So they, they have AJ Styles and a bunch of X Division guys either side of the door. They knock on the door as Scott Hall answers, and AJ Styles hits him with a sucker punch, and they all run away while Kevin Nash is sitting on the chair in a towel. Yeah, I think I thought he was like getting ready to like sunbathe. You can hear them there. He's like, Scott, order food. <laughs> Maybe he's like, oh, Scott, did you order food? Go get it from the door. Mm. So if they had anybody other than AJ be the one to sucker punch Hall, I'd be like, all right. You know, if it was Shark Boy who hit him, it's like, all right, that's actually, that's not bad. What if it was Chris Sabin? I'd also have a problem. It should have been Shark Boy or D-Ray. I don't know. I feel like I don't mind it being someone higher statute than that, but it should, it should have been Red. Mm. At least, yeah, that would have made more sense for him to pot shot Hall. The problem with it being AJ is like the announcers play this up as this like great act of defiance. <laughs> or at the very least, like AJ should have ensiguried him or something. It's just a punch. Like, they really present this as AJ standing up to the kings of wrestling. It's like, no, he fucking cheap-shotted them and ran away like a bitch. It would have been better if he, like, actually just laid them both out. Mm. You can still, like, jump them because, like, they're jumping them and it's turnabout is fair play. But he shouldn't take one punch and then run away with all these friends. Yeah, it's the running away. And yeah, they even had, like, the numbers. Even if they beat them up, like, six on two, I'd have less of a problem. Eight of them. Yeah, there's like six to eight of them outside the door. They knock on the door. They take a cheap shot at Hall and they all run away snickering. (laughs) And Nash is just confused. Mm. He looks around like, what's happening? I hate the the way this segment is meant to portray AJ. That being said, it is awesome. (laughs) Main event of this episode, Scott Hall versus the phenomenal AJ Styles. And which I thought was actually pretty good. Yeah, this is fun. It's it's nice to see something like this. And Hole can still do it, you know? He can still go. Yeah, you see the snap on his moves and the way he moves. He's he's obviously much bigger than he used he to be. He also feels like a star still. Because he's gigantic. He has that aura. And he's wrestling AJ. Yeah, so he has that star aura. He's wrestling AJ. It's just a fun match on paper. Scott Hall versus AJ Styles. Yeah. And like, yeah, it's, it's not a special match, but it's nice to have a big, meaningful main event between top stars on television, something they just don't do. Yeah, this is Dusty. Yeah, this was Dusty's first episode. And even like, he he has big announcements, like he announces Hall and, and Styles for this match, and he announces Jared against Monty for next week. So it's it's very much him coming out there and being like, we're doing stuff on TV now. Yeah, the, the, the Jared Monty one definitely felt like... <sighs> I don't know if I want to, like, I don't want to criticize it as feeling, like, a little rushed or a little ham-fisted, mm. but I, in, like, in a way it was, but also it's something happening on the show, so can I get that mad at it? Anyway, they have been building toward it since, like, July. Yeah, yeah but it doesn't feel, it feels like it, they also have stopped building to it, you know? Well, they did do it on TV. I guess. I don't know if I love it. So in that Hall and Styles match, Nash came out the ringside, Nash hit AJ in the back, allowing Hall to hit a joke slam, but Styles kicked out. Hardy ran out, drop kicked Hall, but then Hall kicked out. Styles went for a Styles Clash, which I would have loved to see. (laughs) I don't think the logistics of Styles Styles Clashing Scott Hall would work, but either way. Who's the biggest person AJ has Styles Clash? He's done it to Abyss, but I don't think he hooked the arms. He just did like a gotch pile driver more than anything. Hmm. Like maybe someone in New Japan he hit that was big? He's he Styles Clashed Joe before. 
Joe's, yeah, but I don't know if I'd consider Joe like that. I'm, like, if he did it to, like, Archer, I would be more impressed. Well, Joe's a very large man. Styles went for the Styles Clash, but then Jarrett hit Styles with the guitar, allowing Hall to win. Then Savage ran all the baby faces out of the tunnel, and Savage cut a quick promo, just, ooh, yeah, his way to turning point. <laughs> yeah, I would have given Savage a couple more words, but hey. Yeah, he doesn't get any long promos. He does just be like, turning point, we're going to take you down. Yeah. Dig it. Then... Be a man, Hulk. December 3, the big development here is, as we mentioned, Jeff Jarrett defends the NWA World Heavyweight Championship against the alpha male Monty Brown. Yeah, um... I I think this was alright. I liked some certain parts of it. Mm-hmm. I like that they tried to give Monty an out. Yeah, Abyss attacked him earlier in the show, hit him with a plank. I think... Listen, you probably don't want to end Jarrett's reign on a TV, mm. but I think they would have maybe gained some hype if Monty had won this, and like they had the three-way, they had a singles for the title with Monty and Abyss, and then they had the main event with the tags, Six Sides of Steel. I think that's a slightly more interesting version of the show that we got. Even if you're Dusty, like coming out on your first TV taping, basically, as a booker, it's like... Let's do something that, like, that's a statement of intent. We're going to get behind Monty Brown. But there's no way Jarrett agrees. That's the problem. Jarrett's still in the room. Jarrett's still a voice. And Jarrett's still probably not willing to put over Monty because they keep insisting he's not ready. Even though everything you see from him tells you he's ready. And even, like, what is ready for this company? At the level he needs to perform at for an NWA world title match in this company, he is more than there right now. They have this match where he looks more than there right now. Monsters Ball, more than there. Hardy matches, more than there. Raven matches, more than there. He's the guy. This idea that Monty wasn't ready for this title in November, December, January 2004-2005 is just complete and utter nonsense. He absolutely was. They just fucking bottled it. Do you think it's a nonsense excuse or do you think that like perhaps because it's the NWA title they're trying to like hold it to some standard? I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just throwing it out as a devil's advocate thing. I don't think. Like if, if you can't say we can put the belt on Monty Brown then you, you just keep Keep the fucking thing on Jared forever, you know? <laughs> if you're like, yeah. Monty's not good enough to hold this esteemed belt, then just leave it on Jared. Who gives a shit anymore? Yeah. Also, maybe, like, just, it's your belt. Just do the TNA title. What are we doing? We're not NWA TNA anymore. Like, they don't need a committee vote anymore. Like, they have control of the NWA title. <laughs> yeah. They make unilateral decisions about who wins this belt. Just put it fucking on Monty. And I'm fine with Monty losing here. Because Jarrett retains the belt. But we may be less fine when we talk about Monty in our last next episode. Hmm. I don't think... I'm, I think I'm going to be pro-Jarrett. I think I'm just, I'm just feeling that. So Monty's ribs were taped from Abyss's attack. Tanae tells us that they're sticking with this match until the very end. The classic Tony Khan gimmick where it's like, we're going to stay live no matter what, even though the match ends within the hour anyway. (laughs) I mean, I like it. It does sell importance. Even like when Monty was coming out, my Tanae was explaining that like Monty didn't have posters of football players on his wall. He had posters of wrestlers. It's like he may have played in two Super Bowls, but this is his dream. I like, um, we got another, like, old-school wrestling-ism from Mike Tanay as well, where he's, like, tape machines are rolling. Yeah, the classic tape machines. We don't have tape machines anymore, but they're still rolling. The digital tape machines are rolling. There's a bunch of, like, little Mike, like, when Chris Saban hit a pile driver on P.D. Williams at Turning Point, Mike Tanay shouted that it's a regulation pile driver, and just something about that gave me a chuckle. (laughs) 
Especially since he did like a weird like face buster powerbomb before. <laughs> yeah. Was that regulation as well? Jared hit Monty with the guitar, but Monty didn't even go down. Then Monty kicked out of the stroke. Hall came out. He fought off Hall. He hit a pounce on Hall. A pounce Jared. But Jared followed with chair shots uh, to retain. Styles and Hardy were shown laid out. Uh, Savage checked on them as that's our go-home show as a car approached Savage in the distance. There was no payoff to what that car was or what it was doing. It was him leaving. It was eventually the one that like kidnapped him. <laughs> but... It was it was it was his Uber. Mm, he's just like, oh, you guys are laid out, but I gotta go home. Maybe it was DDP. So Jarrett retains the NWA World Heavyweight Title over the Alpha Male. Earlier in the show, Hall and Nash were in the ring. Hall says they're taking Savage, Styles, and Hardy to school. The crowd starts chanting "boring," so Nash starts singing instead. <laughs> He's like, yeah, oh, you don't want to hear me talk? Maybe you want to hear me sing. And then he gets out of the ring and he takes like a slight fall on the apron. And it's like, that was nearly a bump. You nearly got a bump for free. God, he's the best. And then they hijacked a camera for no reason. I guess they were the ones. No, because Savage was there. So they wouldn't have been the ones filming the attack. So they just took the camera for no reason, I guess. Because uh, they're taking over. Mm. Which brings us to Turning Point. In which the semi-main event, not the main event, was Randy Savage, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles facing Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Jeff Jarrett. Earlier in the show, Savage did a promo with Scott Hudson, same thing, ooh yeah, dig it, before he was kidnapped. (gasps) My favorite thing about the kidnapping segment is they don't show them actually shoving Savage into the car. It's all implication. They show them throwing Savage's hat into the car, slamming the door, and then the car drives off as Mike Tanay is like, is that Savage? Did they kidnap Savage? Savage, just do the fucking angle. Jesus Christ. Mm. Jump in the car. Have a fucking... I don't know. That that strikes me. Like, they're paying you a shit ton. Just do the bit. You don't even have to wrestle on this show. Hey, he, he works very hard. So you do get the match. It ends up being a three-on-two handicap match for most of its 18-minute runtime. Oh my god, this match was so fucking long. <laughs> this match was impossibly long. And, like, irrationally long, some would suggest. Illegally long. This should not be. So they, they do the three-on-two. It's, like, it's technically fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not like Hall's falling over the place or anything, but there's... There's very little good there until the very last minute, which is still not very good, but at least Randy Savage shows up. By the way, it must be noted, before we talk about Savage. It must be. That the Kings of Wrestling come out to the Flying Elvis' music. <laughs> With tremendous gear. Yeah, where Hall and Nash are wearing Elvis jumpsuits, but Jared isn't. Jared didn't commit to the bit. Why is Jared not committed to this bit? He is, he sucks. Jared stinks. He's ruining it for everyone. <laughs> Jared's a great grifter, but he's no fucking... He's no Kevin Nash when it comes to coolness, is he? No. I suppose who is? He wishes he could get as much money for doing as little work as Big Kev did. Not wrong. If if Big Kev was running the the live event business for AEW right now, we'd all be talking different. Oh, then we'd be getting a bunch of Big Kev against Sting matches. Who would they team Big uh, Big Kev no, with? No, just put him in the Jared slot where he's with the old X Division guys, the Paparazzi Productions reunion. Oh my... Well, then you have to bring in Alex. Hmm. Hmm. So Savage walks out, locks Jarrett in a sleeper as the other two lock the other two in a sleeper as well. Then Jarrett goes for a sunset flip. Savage punches him, sits down in the sunset flip, and pins the NWA world champion. Hell yeah. They very clearly present this as the guy just pinned the champion. Shouldn't he get a title shot? Which was the plan, but Savage walked out. Yeah, um, how would you feel about Randy Savage versus 
Jeff Jarrett. Based on what you see of the, like, 30 seconds of them interacting just on this show, I kind of would have liked to see it out of morbid intrigue. How well do you think it would have um, done? Because they would have insisted on doing, like, a 15-minute match minimum. Oh, 100%. It might be good because Jarrett won't be able to pull his bullshit with Randy. But also, Randy can't do anything. Yeah, but Randy can probably walk and brawl with the best of them, so... It's true. They just go all over the entire impact zone. Yeah. They brawl all the way to the asylum and back. So, just two days after pitting NWA World Champion Jeff Jarrett at Turning Point, Randy Savage walked out in the promotion. Savage showed up at Universal Studios in Orlando, but ended up having a three and a half hour meeting with Jerry Jarrett, then walked out without appearing on camera as scheduled. His future with the company is unknown, but at this point it appears he is at an impasse over either money or plans on how he wants to be used. He was scheduled to face Jarrett in the main event of TNA's Final Resolution January pay-per-view. The big rumor is basically that... He insisted when he came in, he's not losing to Jeff Jarrett. He's not going to put over Jeff Jarrett. So that when then when they were like, we're going to put you in a pay-per-view main event against Jeff Jarrett. He's like, hey guys, what's the result of that match? <laughs> I, that was my first thought was like, there's no way in hell, like if they do that match that Randy wants to lose. Yeah. So when it was became increasingly clear that they wanted him to lose, he's like, fuck it. Peace out. Which is kind of based, to be fair. Yeah, apparently he was making between ten and twenty-five grand per show, which is insane money. Also, also maybe Rony just do the Jobski. Yeah, like I don't know. Like you're not getting you're not getting signed anywhere else. Like just take the money. When you think about the lengths they had to go to to protect him, even in a six-man tag, you realize there's yeah. probably a lot going on in Randy's head at this stage of his career. What was Randy Savage's last match? This. This is the last match of the Macho Man Randy Savage's career. Randy Savage, Jeff Hardy, and AJ Styles versus Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Jeff Jarrett. It's kind of an interesting, like, weird wrestling uh, fact, isn't it? TNA have, like, a surprising number of people's last matches. I wouldn't brag about that. No. <laughs> like, they have, like, China's. They had Ric Flair's until Ric Flair had another last match, I guess. Hogan? Uh, Hogan's last match as well, yeah. So T- that's the, like the weird TNA legacy. I was at Hogan's last match. It was a house show. The last three companies Randy Savage worked, TNA, WCW, New Japan. He did do appearances at WWA. He didn't wrestle. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's the end of Randy Savage's career. The final match of the Macho Man. The final time he was seen on television as a pro wrestler. He, he did acting stuff after this. but I mean, listen, I, I, I don't feel like someone who's really educated enough to talk about Randy Savage's career at length. I feel like we have to put what I call the Kurt Hennig proviso. <laughs> mm. If, somehow, the only match you've seen of Randy Savage's career is this one. <laughs> this one TNA yeah. match. I would highly recommend you go watch some more Randy Savage. I heard that uh, that Ricky Steamboat Randy Savage match is pretty good. Yeah, it's like a three and three quarter star match, but still. <laughs> People seem to like that one. The, the biggest disappointment, honestly, is like Savage's thing is his charisma. You know, he is one of the most iconic promos of all time. He doesn't even cut a promo. He All his promos are just like standard, see you at the pay-per-view, yeah. You don't even get like a deranged Macho Man promo. They don't even give him, like, a Randy and Jeff being weird together promo. Mm. Of course, they never let Jeff Hardy talk in general, but, you know. Or just, like, patting AJ on the head. Being like, oh, yeah, you're the future of the business. Um, oh, my God. Imagine AJ trying to keep up with <laughs> Randy Savage and Jeff Hardy. There's, like, a funny moment on the best dams. I'm sorry to bring them up. Where Cr- Chris you. Rose is trying to go, like, banter for banter with Roddy Piper. 
it's like even if you think he's a pretty good host the man can't go barb for barb with roddy piper uh yeah and watching that wrestlemania it was very funny seeing like austin and, and piper going back and forth together and then it's just like all right carlito good luck <laughs> Uh, so Savage pins Jarrett. He was meant to challenge in January, but he walked out. And we'll we'll pick that up in January. Don't worry, I'm sure they'll bounce back accordingly. Which brings us to the actual main event of Turning Point 2004, which is Triple X versus America's Most Wanted Inside Six Sides of Steel. Which is funny, uh, because like I feel like this this month didn't really have a crazy build to it either. I think the build to the first cage match was a lot better. Yeah, it's funny because like at Victory Road, they did announce the cage match. You know, Dusty comes out, accepts mm. his director of authority position, democratically elected. And then one of his first decisions is to make that match. It is AMW against Triple X. Pam Anderson's first vote ever <laughs> she was like, in America. I would like to see Triple X in AMW, so I'm going to vote for the American dream. So he did make the match on behalf of Pamela Anderson inside Six Sides of Steel. And yet they're not even on the first impact of the month yeah it's um kind of a disappointing build-up but once you get to the match who gives a shit i guess like they they might consider the match built to which I, they're probably not wrong yeah but you know you can give me a little something something in the in between yeah like there's like it may already be built to but there's nothing that hurts it from trying to add some more heat to mm. it so, November 19th Impact, franchise has Triple X backstage. They've set up a cage in the parking lot. It kind of looks like a dog, like one of those dog cages that you'll get to put in your yard. Mm. When they're like a puppy and they can't be like out in the yard by themselves. I was trying to think, it must be pretty hard to set up a six-sided cage like that. I'm sure they have enough stage hands. Because like when you're attaching it to the ring, you at least have the frame of the ring to tie it to. Whereas I was thinking like when you set up like the first side of it, you have to hold it in place while you set up the next few sides until it can balance itself. Yeah, with a four-sided cage, you can probably do it all at once. Mm. Do you think they like they attach them all like on the ground, laying down, and then they just put it all up at once and attach the one link between the last two? That would be very elaborate. I don't think it would be. You just attach them all side by side on the ground, and then you pick them up and you just you, you move them into the shape. Mm. That's probably a better way to do it. I was just thinking of like hold one side, doing it while they're all trying to stay. <laughs> have two people holding up the cage as you put it while you side attach the sides, and then eventually it'll balance itself. Yeah, yeah I don't think that would that would have been the way. Hey, maybe it was. So Triple X invite AMW to come out to the parking lot in their six sides of steel cage set up there to end it right now. AMW have a match against the NYC immediately after, so like that's the reason they don't go to answer the challenge, even though Hall and Nash are on commentary being like, those nerds, they're not answering the challenge. They're cowards. Hall and Nash jump AMW to cause a DQ. They brawl to the back where Triple X locked them in the cage and then beat them up. Yeah, um, I did not like this match. <laughs> well... You liked it so much, you got to see it again. November 26th. It's America's Most Wanted versus the NYC round two. I did not like this match. AMW uh, pinned Gilberti with the death sentence. It was a perfectly normal, forgettable TV match. At least, it was an, at least this one actually was a match. And AMW did pin Disco. And Disco has shiny pants now. Yeah. Yeah, sure does. And, and uh... And does not have the body of a Disco Inferno of a year ago. Yeah, he's no longer jacked. He was jacked when he got that title shot, which was, I assume, how he earned yeah. the title shot, by being jacked. Well, that's what we even mentioned at the time, that it looked like a million bucks. But now he is a man who knows he's a mid-card act, and has a body accordingly. Yeah. Hey, they went from a... a they got to a, 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 a hot 2 out of 5 rating on this match, and the match before I gave a useless out of 5. Mm. So, December 3rd, all there was was a, an AMW go-home promo. Yeah, again, like 
I don't know. I don't need a lot. Maybe like they kind of bring me backstage and they get bloodied up by Triple X or something. Just give us some heat for the the big cage match that's main eventing your show. Yeah, even like the the one angle they had, which was the the cage in the parking lot angle, that ended up being more about the Kings of Wrestling than it ended up being about Triple X and AMW. Yeah, you could have done that on the go home, mm. like when they were doing their promo. You could have attacked them and dragged them out to the cage and bloodied them. But that does lead us to turning point, main event, main eventing over the final match of Randy Savage's career, no less. It is inside Six Sides of Steel. Oh, we forgot to mention, Dusty at one stage comes out of the ring and mentions it'll be a losing team's disband match. <laughs> that happened somewhere this month, too. Yeah, uh, it's a little little known fact. Yeah, so losing team must disband. It's America's Most Wanted versus Triple X. The defining tag team rivalry of TNA history. The rivalry that began as a part of tradition versus sex has all the way built to the main event of their second monthly pay-per-view as the two best teams in TNA history try to top the cage match they had in the middle of 2003. Listen, I think AMW is existing is uh, perfectly accepting in that role of one of the best, if not the best, uh, tag team in company mm-hmm. history. I don't think Triple X. Alright, if you were to say the second best team in TNA history is X, who do you say? Motor City Machine Guns. No, I mean at this point, not ever. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought I thought you were, like, saying all of TNA history. No, Triple X wouldn't make top ten. Well, they would, they'd probably make top ten. You, you said it in a very affirmative way, and I was like, I don't agree with that. I can, I, I can agree with AMW in that role. Honestly, I think I've been kind of downed on Triple X in general mm. throughout this. Like, I think the build when they first came in was good. I think the build to the first Steel Cage match was really good. But ever since then, I haven't really enjoyed Triple X very much. Because they were, they were basically gone after the cage match. Like, that wasn't the losing team disbands, yeah. but they, they were basically gone. The sex angle went away. Daniels and Skipper went to do Japan stuff, and then Daniels had a little singles run. Skipper came back and had a little singles run. And then they came back together as a babyface tag team. And it, I didn't like that at mm. all. And I haven't enjoyed any of that up until the first match that they had at Victory Road. Obviously, that's kind of thrown out because, you know everyone died but i didn't really like the build up to that i didn't like that match obviously i didn't like this month and because nothing really much happened with them so i i think overall i'm kind of not super into triple x so even here as much as in i was december of 2004 would you not even give them the second best team in tna history ranking i, I probably would yes this is my like my summary of triple x up until this point though i just don't think there's, there's a lot of competition either like maybe AJ and Jerry Lynn, uh, which they had like three matches together. AJ and D'Lo. Yeah, you'd have AJ D'Lo. You'd have the Naturals. You'd have the New Church. Uh, honestly, I might put the New Church. I, th- I think I might put the New Church too. <laughs> might have Diamond and Swinger, but they only really had good matches with AMW. So I was gonna say, yeah, I think it, I think it might be the New Church. Might be the second best team in TNA history to this point. It might even be Julio and Punk. It's not Julio and Punk. I'd probably put New Church above them. Julio but... and Punk didn't have a single match better than three stars. Don't you retcon them into being a good tag no, team. No, they, they... No. Okay, what if I say Julio and Alexis? Ah, yes, they had that Clockwork Orange match against Jeff Jarrett. It was a dream match. Which which is great, so... Don't you retcon... I will not accept you retconning Julio <laughs> and Punk into being a good team in this company. When all they ever did was have five-minute matches that weren't very good. Alexis. Stop yelling no. at me. <laughs> yeah, so um, honestly, yeah, I think I would put New Church above Triple X so mm. far. But that being said, I'm going to probably just pass it over to you because this is your match. <laughs> they obviously came together here and had another incre- incredible, crazy match. I like the first one more, but maybe I'm just a hipster nerd. Because Garrett, you think this is the best ever. 
Yeah, let's start where we should start, which is Elix Clipper's cage block. I mean, what if he he could have just died? He could have died. Again, I say this every time I talk about this match, but if you've never seen this spot, one, how, go watch it. Then you mustn't be following Garrett on Twitter. I post it like twice a week. Uh, But, uh, like, if you've never seen a TNA steel cage, it's not the WWE steel cage, where you think, oh, walking the top of a cage, that's fine. Same with the AEW cage. They have those big thrusses at the top that are are very easy to get your balance on and very easy to walk on. by the way, they probably should have, and it's good that they do have have them but they'll never have a moment as cool as Alex Skipper walking across a fucking one inch thick piece of metal yeah so TNA's cages are like an inch maybe two inches wide tops and Elix Skipper does his rope walk spot he calls it new school rope walk Kirk and Rana and at least like 20% of the time he falls when he does that on the ropes <laughs> never mind anything, yeah. anything else so in this match you have Daniels and Chris Harris brawling on one side of the cage. Harris is sitting on top of the cage while while he's occupied with Daniels. Skipper happens to be standing on the other side, like a a cage length apart, one of the cage sides apart. Skipper walks that one to two inch steel cage and Hurricane Rana's Chris Harris off of it. In what is, I think, if you were to list the best high spots in wrestling history, never mind TNA, it's it's right up there. It might even be the best. It's definitely like top three. It's crazy. And also, I don't think like Chris Harris gets enough credit for taking that damn bump yeah, as that well. man takes a flip bump off a cage and gets absolutely no credit for it. And also, like, it's not even like... It obviously is the craziest thing that happens in that match, but there's a bunch of other wacky, insane bullshit in that match too. Like, the top rope powerbomb. Yeah, James Storm just power bombs, or is it Harris? Skipper gets power bombed off the cage anyway. Yeah, it's fucking crazy. They do so much crazy shit in this. I think this is definitely more of the high spots match than the last mm. one. And the last one was more of like a classic Southern uh, style brawl with lots of blood, you know? Yeah, even like Daniels, immediately after Skipper does the cage walk, Daniels drops an elbow off a cage. Nobody remembers it. <laughs> no. Be- because, like, how do you top that, you know? The only way Daniels tops that is if he does the PME off of it. That would be the best moonsault ever, to be fair. Yeah. So, just insane, crazy shit. But it's not enough to win it for Triple X. Yeah. People would have a problem with that. It's like, oh, it wasn't the finish. It's like, oh, who cares? Shut up. Go away. You nerds. But also, those people didn't watch any of the build-up or, you know, they don't really know anything in the lead-up to this. Mm. Those people just saw that spot and go, oh, it wasn't the finish. Also, like, the, the, the crane cam TNA uses, which is, like, a very TNA yeah. thing, but it, it creates, a, like, the perfect shot for that skipper cage walk, where it's it's not, like, shooting from the floor up, even if that would probably look pretty cool in its own right, but or, or shooting through a cage. It literally has you, like, from skipper's perspective, almost looking over his shoulder as he, like, takes a few, like, tentative steps and then takes a few much quicker steps to do the ran off the cage. Uh, it's 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 insane. It's the coolest moment in TNA history, maybe. It's one of the coolest moments in wrestling history. It, as I said, if, if you were to list the top high spots in wrestling history, it would be very, very, very high on that list with a, a such a small margin for error because if he falls, he looks like the biggest fool on earth and also probably dies. It's like that... Foley falling through the hell in a cell. Yeah, and if he falls, he falls like either onto the guardrail or into the crowd. <laughs> you know, or if he falls the other way, he just collapses into the ring. There's no like 
there's like a 5% success rate on that. <laughs> and he just managed to hit it. And we were mentioning on the watch along, tnhat.com, patreon.com, just kidding me. Where it's like, he's the only one in this match that doesn't bleed. The rest bleed buckets. And there's probably a good reason if he's going to walk that steel cage. It's like, I probably don't want any blood loss as I walk that steel cage. We also thought, like, maybe he's just not a bud guy because we don't think he bled in the, the other steel cage. Yeah, he didn't bleed in the first one either. I think he was the only one who didn't bleed in that one either. So he's just like, I, uh, no thank you to the blood. Which, honestly, I'm a very pro-blood and wrestling guy. I think blood rocks. But I also fully respect anyone who's like, yes, I would not like to cut my forehead. Thank you very much. <laughs> you've, you've actually picked quite the hot topic with blood because that's that's quite the Twitter debate today. Uh, it's just because WWE were doing a war games without blood. Did they have blood in the end? I didn't watch the matches. Uh, I don't believe it had... Oh, no, I did. I watched that main event. It did not have blood. Cowards, a lot of them. And, oh, so you're one of these blood-hungry AEW marks who need blood. It's like, I would have liked Mox and Max if Mox had bled, but for once, Mox didn't bleed, so minus five stars. I'm pretty sure he didn't bleed because they didn't want to pay out on the <laughs> the fucking, um... What do you call the it? The DraftKings thing. Yeah, the DraftKings, because the DraftKings thing was like, will Moxley or MJF bleed? And, you know, and I even said when that happened to the people in the room, oh, that's easy money. Yeah, it's the safest bet you'll ever make in your life, and there's no blood. Exactly, so I think they did that on purpose. Uh, so, yeah, this match, uh, they, they introduced the handcuffs for the first time, which would become an America's Most Wanted staple, but are used here. Harris is isolated in handcuffs for a while until he gets free, and then the finish is that they handcuff Daniels to the rope, playing back to the whole idea, like the build for, for the first match was the numbers game, the, the numbers advantage, so they're even playing off that idea for the final finish of their match too, where Daniels is tied to the ropes, they're going for a death sentence, and Harris says no, because Triple X hit AMW with a death sentence earlier in the match. AMW are like, fuck them, we're gonna beat them with their own move. They hit Triple X's powerplex on Skipper. One, two, three, Skipper and Daniels have to break up. So how do you think Loki feels? Yeah, it's poor Loki, it's it's Triple X, it's not Double X. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck, guys, our stable just broke up and I wasn't even involved. It's kind of fucked up. Yeah. So I think I think we suggested on the watch along that Dusty should have been in the AMW, and, it, and they should have brought Loki, and it should have been a six-man. American Dreams Most Wanted against the true Triple X? Yeah. That would be a good match. Imagine Loki and Dusty. Actually, Loki and Dusty have it directed, haven't they? Yes. I was going to say we should get Loki versus Dusty in a singles just to settle it now. You had that Triple X and Russo against, was it the Road Warriors, Dusty and Jarrett, that match? Yes. I have to go back and check that yeah. Dusty and Loki interact in that match. That's 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 the truest test now. Did we ever get a Dusty Loki interaction? Like knowing Loki, he was probably like, "Yeah, I gotta get like a bionic elbow from Dusty or something." Mm, he probably does eat one. Yeah. The pro- the problem is, he might just be like, "I want to take like the Doomsday or something." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, he might just be like so starstruck by the idea of getting to work with the Road Warriors that he's like, he forgets about Dusty for a second. So you're saying he's not so starstruck about the idea of working with Jeff Jarrett? <laughs> is no, uh, no, I wasn't saying that. I think this match is like the bar for like ending blood feuds because you you can argue about how they built to it or how your your love of triple X heading in, but when you say losing team disbands steel cage, this is what you should get. You should get two teams bitterly and bloodily fighting to stay alive as tag teams in every way that these two teams do with some of the most insane moves you will ever see in the history of pro wrestling. Again, and when like a power bomb off a cage and an elbow drop off a cage, and we didn't even mention the Tower of Doom where Daniels nearly died. <laughs> in all of those spots, which are just like background fodder for the cage walk. Uh, that That's the bar. That's what you should do when your teams are on the line inside a steel cage. I was also going to say, like, I think that the complaint about the the cage walk not being the finish is stupid. Because it's it's losing team disbands. It's every ounce of your being to kick out of these big spots. Mm. 
Like, literally everything's on the line. It's more than titles. It's it's your existence as a pro wrestler. So I can buy kicking out of things that you never would believe a kick out from in a different kind of match. It's like getting mad at watching like a big mask versus mask match in Mexico and some crazy shit happens and being like, oh, why did why did Pentagon kick out of that fucking table spot? You're like, well, because it's mask versus mask, motherfucker. Yeah, but also even when you think about it, like built into the match, Daniel's on top of the cage, Skipper hit the, the cage walk around her. Skipper's taken out because he just freaking ran at somebody off a cage. He can't go for a pin. And then Daniels is on top of the cage. And fair enough, he drops an elbow off the cage and then somebody kicks out. But still, it rocks. Yeah. I just think you can give um, you can give uh, some leniency in these kind of matches because it's meant to be these big emotional epics where you're kicking out of everything. Mm. Yeah, because this is like the defining feud of TNA. Like TNA in general, not just tag teams. This is probably like the TNA feud for the space of the last 18 months. And they're doing a, a losing team disbands match finally. And yeah, do, go wild. Do everything you can. For sure. The locker room gave Chris Harris, James Storm, Christopher Daniels and Eli Skipper a standing ovation when they returned to the locker room following and their cage match. James is off crying and jacking off in a corner. <laughs> he lost the tag titles earlier tonight, but we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> so not only oh, did he lose the belts, but AMW have outstaged him once again. Fucking what a loser. Observers, uh, Daniels was in tears once he got backstage. Observers believe his reaction were to the fact that he and Skipper will no longer be teaming as much as they were to the reaction oh. the main event received. Aww. Because, like, Daniels and Skipper were, like... I, I, I love Elix Skipper, but, like, he's he's not a great pro wrestler. You know, he's a high spots guy. Which is the reason, like, the Triple X team worked so well in that you have Daniels, who is a great pro wrestler, and can paper over the cracks in Skipper's game to form a team that is better than the sum of their parts and can have a match like this. But we will get some Skipper single stuff, so you can look forward to that, I guess. And also Daniels Skipper stuff. You can look forward to that. I was gonna say... Uh... I think I'm more excited for the Daniel stuff, but hey, we'll get to mm. it. So the tag team title feud heading into Turning Point was the Tree Live Crew versus Team Canada. Yay, let's talk about this. November 12th Impact. Tree Live Crew win a real quick match against Jason Static, Justin Cage, and Scotty Matthews. Great jobber names. Fuck, Mary kill. <laughs> Based on name exclusively. Jason Static, Justin Cage, and Scotty Matthews. Oh, okay, you, you kill Scotty Matthews, that's easy. Okay, I, we've we're both agreed we're killing Scotty Matthews. I, oh, who seems like a better long-term relationship than Jason Static or Justin Cage? Hmm. Well, you know with Static, it's going to get Static. That's true. So you do the one-night stand with Jason Static and you, you really marry Cage. So there you go. Yeah, I think that's it. This is this is the best podcast that's ever existed. Tree Life Crew win with their lifting axe kick. Team Canada attack them after the match and BG James rages afterwards. <laughs> he goes into a fit of anger. I'm not sure if there are any other angles. Like, uh, there's, like, Petey Williams and Bobby Roode beat Jarrell Clark and Muggy Bats. That's more to build to the Petey match than anything Roode's doing. Yeah. There's the angle where the uh, Kings of Wrestling attack Conan to take him out. He's he's ambulanced away. Which then, um, we get Ron Killings replacing Conan in the pay-per-view mm-hmm. match. We gave a lot of praise to Victory Road's hype with every match feeling like it was the natural crescendo of something, basically. This one, not so much. <laughs> it probably doesn't help when that you switch booking regimes mid-pay-per-view cycle. Sure, but like even the first couple weeks, you know, you're not really getting much progression. Uh, I guess you would also ask yourself the question, how much build do you want to Eric Young and Bobby Roode against BG James and Conan? 
True. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's basically it. They take out the Kings of Wrestling. Take out Conan. You, you get Ron Killings and a uh, Bobby Roode in a singles. Too. Oh yes, you do. Conan been taken out. So Truth had an ass kicks, but Demore had the ref distracted. EY tried to interfere, but then BG even the odds. Truth won with a pedigree. Sorry, um, double overhook face bust. Oh, the or the DDT as Mike today will always call it. Yes. Yeah, it's a modified DDT. So BG cuts a promo, being like, "We're." <laughs> They'll need those socialized myths. Yeah, it's a it's a decent line, a turning point, and then they'll be coming for the Kings of Wrestling after that. They should respond with, "Yeah, well, Kodan's gonna need to be fifty thousand dollars in debt because he spent one night in a local medical facility." Owned. <laughs> turning point opened with Eric Young and Bobby Roode defeating BG James and Conan to become the new NWA World Tag Team Champions. Well, I'm excited for Eric Young and Bobby Roode as Tag Team Champions. I wonder what BG feels about it. <laughs> Uh, I wondered was the plan all along to take the belts off them or is there a little bit of like you're going to blow up at us we're going to take the belts off you yeah it does feel a little bit like that so Demore looked to interfere but then Johnny Devine made his return running in also the game Triple H thank god that I mean Johnny Devine (laughs) made his return here he cracked BG with a hockey stick Canadians win the belts it was okay it was a perfectly (laughs) fine whatever I get I probably threw two and a half out of just being generous (laughs) Yeah, I think, but also it was like opening a pay-per-view excitement too. Mm, so that probably helps. Uh, TNA filmed the injury angle with Conan at the final Impact show before the pay-per-view so that they could pull him from the event. He took a booking the same night in Mexico for AAA promoter Antonio Pena. It was the first time that Conan has worked for Pena in over a decade. I'm very interested in Conan as a star in Mexico. It's always something I've heard about, but never delved in. I saw one match recently, and I was like, yeah, I see it. I understand. Because yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a prime Conan match in Mexico. Yeah. In fact, I don't think I've ever seen a prime Conan match full stop. All I've ever seen is, like, his WCW stuff, which is bad, and his TNA stuff, which is also not very good, except as a manager, where he's fantastic. So I don't think I've ever seen Conan as, like, the peak of his powers, which I should probably look into. That's right. Our next series, <laughs> the Conan Mexico retrospective. Uh, we'll watch three matches and be like, yep, he was a big star. Like, yep, uh, people went crazy for him and there's 50,000 people in this venue. <laughs> He's in the Hall of Fame, right? The wrestling of I think so, yeah. We had a lot of big debuts in October, November. We have only one real big one in December, and that's the debut of Diamond Dallas Page. I just want to clarify, he is in the Hall of Fame, 2009. So DDP made his TNA debut. DDP. Okay, so I'm into this a lot. I love DDP coming in. I think that's a great addition. It's one of the guys that, one of the few WCW, like WCW, WCW, because I've seen a lot of NWA, Jim Crockett stuff, but, um, which is weird to say now, but um, I haven't seen a lot of like actual WCW Monday Night War stuff. The one guy I've seen a lot of is DDP. So I'm into this idea of DDP coming in. I'm into him and Raven coming in together because I think that's a really big mid-card feud. What I'm not into is this weird subtext of, like, Raven fucking DDP's wife Mm -hmm. and Eric Watts. What's that, Liam? You said you're not into Eric Watts? Well, this is a different era, you know. There's no Goldilocks here. You're saying Goldilocks was carrying him entirely? I would say so. So yes, Diamond Dallas Page makes his TNA debut on the November 12th Impact. Raven opens that show shouting at Larry Zabisco, demanding he be booked in a match with Monty Brown coming off of Victory Road. Larry's like, yeah, go for it. Who cares? <laughs> mm. Monty pounced Raven into the referee. Abyss comes out and Black Hole slams Monty. But then Diamond Dallas Page appears out of the crowd, out of nowhere, hits Raven with a diamond cutter, allowing Monty to score the win as a hooded figure. Watch Abyss from a distance. Who could that be? Um, Yeah, this was... This is alright. A good debut for DDP. I thoroughly approve of the number of diamond cutters that are thrown this month. Yeah, well, that's 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 why you're here, you know. DDP uh, not in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. I'm waiting for the episode of Impact that has a pounce, a black hole slam, and a diamond cutter, 
which I actually think about it, this match had all three, making it the best match in TNA history. Because <laughs> oh Monty pounced Raven, Abyss Blackhold slammed Monty, and then DDP Diamond Cuttered Raven. That is the trifecta of great finishes all in one match. Well done, TNA. You nailed it in one. If only, like, AJ was here to Styles Clash TDP at the end. Yeah, throw on a Canadian Destroyer, just PD hitting, like, Saban with a... Actually, no, he would never hit Saban with a Canadian Destroyer. Hit, hit like, <laughs> Red with a Destroyer on the floor. Yeah, then we would have been perfect. DDP's leaving the building, franchise catches up with them, asks him, what What are you doing here in TNA? DDP says Raven knows exactly why he's here. DDP kind of, like, big, big leagues uh, Shane Douglas a lot. I approve of it. Is there, like... Jersey heat. You know my pro Scott Hudson philosophy. Anybody big league in Shane Douglas is good in my book. Listen, I I, I agree that uh, the loss of Scott Hudson is terrible, but I don't think we should take our anger out on poor poor franchise. I'm like Goldilocks when Hudson took her job. Yeah, dare. Actually, that's why I'm happy that he's gone now. I'm like, you, you, you screwed Goldilocks, now Goldilocks screws you in the long run. November 19th, Johnny B. Bad faced Raven. <laughs> Hey, Liam, tell me about Johnny B. Bad. Tell me about Johnny. I, I fucking hate Johnny B. Bad. Why do you hate Johnny B. Bad? He does nothing for me. Isn't he like a real nice guy? I bet he's a nice guy. That's the classic Brian Alvarez. It's like, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but... <laughs> I'm sure he's a nice guy, but I never want to see him on TV. When he comes out, he shoots his boom stick or whatever they call it into the crowd. Oh, great. You know me, I'm all, I'm all about the boomstick. You do love confetti, you, you, you fall all over yourself whenever you see it. Yeah, no, I don't, I hate John B. Bad. He hits a TKO, he hits a Frankensteiner. Oh, the worst fucking move of all time. Wow, why do you hate a Frankensteiner? No, the TKO, you know what I'm talking about. I, I do. <laughs> the ultimate jag move. I went on like a five minute rant about his hatred of the TKO on the watch along. Oh, it, ultimate jag move. You know how you know someone's not going to be a star if they do the damn TKO? Hey, Johnny B. Bad's been in wrestling for like 15 years at this stage, so what do you know? <laughs> I suppose I suppose that's true. Uh, he's facing Raven here. He accidentally bumps the referee. Raven hits the Raven effect, but then DDB hits the ring, drops Raven with a diamond cutter, allowing Johnny B. Bad to pick up the win. Right. Good John B. Bad push. Same thing as the week after, or week before. Franchise stopped DDB on the way out. It says Raven's been living rent-free in his head for two and a half years, and now rent's due. How much is rent, do you think? How much is rent in DDP's head? Probably pretty expensive. Probably the same as living in... The fucking DDP yoga house. <laughs> Franchise has Raven. Asks about DDP. Raven said that Eric Watts is responsible for all the hard aid and agony. And then does a rhyming promo, which I'm going to recite in its entirety. In the voice. DDP, you should have stayed retired. You're weak, decrepit. You should have never been hired. You want to make this a game? Take careful aim. You've lost your fame. Be very afraid because I'm coming to maim. Bang! It's not the cutter. It's the raven effect. Six feet under. You'll have time to reflect. Watch the CD-ROM. I'm dropping the bomb. Intellectual Vietnam. You never cross raven in his home. Goodbye, Paige. Welcome to the Terror Dome. Quote the raven. Nevermore. As I do, in fact, strike you the didn't, You didn't stumble on the, on the Terror Dome line, though. Yeah, because I'm a pro. I can hit my poetry. Um, yeah, that sucks. That's really bad. <laughs> that's like me at like 12 being like yo i can probably rap watch the cd-rom i'm dropping the bomb intellectual vietnam (laughs) intellectual vietnam is such like a rapper (laughs) 
Oh, dear God. Bless Raven. Bless him and his rhyming promos. I love him. November 26th, Raven is meant to face Vordell Walker. The bell rings, but then DDP hits the ring. Coming out to his Smells Like Teen Spirit knockoff, by the way. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Is it better than the, the WWE Smells Like Teen Spirit knockoff? Well, they didn't do or, one. I suppose the WCW Smells Like Teen Spirit knockoff. That's my big problem with WWE. They're fucking cowards. And not only... Did they not do one? Not only did they not do a Smells Like Teen Spirit they... knockoff, but they've edited the WCW one off of old episodes. <gasps> oh my god. I thought they did one because he has one in the games. Very upset, but here he is with his Smells Like Teen Spirit knockoff here in TNA. Probably better than the WCW one, honestly. As knockoffs of songs go. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty, like, it's pretty close. <laughs> mm. DDP's mad because Raven talked about how Raven was the one who made DDP. DDP talks about how he won the title with Hogan, Sting, and Flair in the ring, and Raven is just jealous because Raven never won a belt. Hey, what the fuck? Raven was ECW champion. That counts. We don't respect belts like that here in the NWA TNA. Well, you know what? Only one of these two people will win the NWA title, won't they? <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, so the, the subtext here, they talk a lot about it. Is that there is some pass between Raven and DDP. Is it subtext? Well, they, they don't. They're being like obtuse about what they're actually saying. It's like. They're being coy. You don't want to say what you're really mad about. But the, like there's, there's an issue between Raven and DDP about Kim. Uh, the subtext being Raven banged his wife. and But Raven's like, no, it's Eric Watts you want to talk about. So is it like Watts is the one who banged his wife? And why is CDP so mad about people banging his wife anyway? He loves banging more than anybody else. He's the bang man. And he cannot give out about banging. Yeah, he should be uh, approved. He should be... <laughs> Sorry, I just got distracted by a Rikishi tweet. <laughs> what was the tweet? Please read it in it verbatim. Uh, there's nothing to read. It's a picture. <laughs> What's it a picture of? I'm going to send it to you and you can deem how to describe it. Oh, I'm going to get distracted by the Rikishi tweet. Okay. Liam shared a tweet. <laughs> what? <laughs> what did... <laughs> Alright, so it says, Now this is unacceptable. Not acceptable. Unacceptable. With a, a, a picture of a monkey with his ass out? So... I think it's his balls. Is it? Yeah. Well, either way, Rikishi's not pleased about it. Yeah, if you ever have any time, go through Rikishi's old tweets. It's it's nothing but bangers. Mm, well, I don't even know where we were. Watts, Raven, DDP, Kim Love Triangle <laughs> of some sort. Yeah. So Raven has some new minions he hangs around with. Um, I want to know who these minions are. You want to know who's under the mask? It's probably just Johnny Divine. It's apparently always Johnny Divine now. Yeah, not wrong. I think I think your guess that it was the Naturals might not be off base because they do nothing else this month. They're also like very skinny. Mm. They tried to attack DDP, but DDP hits them both with diamond cutters, which again I approve of. The more diamond cutters, the better. Bang. Raven did have a good line in this where he's, the DDP is like, "You shoved a knife in my back," and Raven's like, "There's so many knives in your back. How do you know which one is mine?" That is a really good line. Mm. I thought Raven, Raven's still very good. Like he gets a little hokey, he gets a little ham-fisted. I'm using ham-fisted a lot in this show, but he he's still like. One of the biggest stars, if not the biggest star there. And one of the more enjoyable things is still, again, a Raven program this month, because this DDP program has diamond cutters, and I approve. So I was thinking about um, our end-of-year awards. Mm-hmm. I have no oh, clue. Oh, it's tough, isn't it? <laughs> I was thinking of, like, wrestler of the year, and I was like, AJ? No. It's Raven? No. If you pick AJ, it's like, I, it's like the default, I guess, answer. But, like, I don't want to give it to AJ. <laughs> Monty? <laughs> yeah, I was thinking Monty. Chris Harris? He had a good year. You can't say he didn't have a good year. Abyss? It's not been a good year. Goldilocks? 
It might be. I mean, best promo. I don't, I don't even know what our own award categories are, but... I think we have best character rather than best promo, but I'd have to check. We should do... Be- we need to change it to best... We need to add a best segment now, because we've, we've entered the, the TNA segment era. Mm. Yeah, um... I do not know who I'm giving rest of the year to this year. Which will make our award show even more interesting when it comes after our next episode. There's not a lot of options. BG James? <laughs> How dare you? Don't you even mention it. <laughs> December 3rd, Impact. DDP comes out. Go home show. DDP. I like the way DDP comes through the crowd for his entrance. It's a nice little touch, a little different. Shades of John Moxley. I also appreciate, like, he, he comes out the tunnel, he does his bang, and then he steps off of the ramp into, like, the crowd. <laughs> he does his bang. He does do his bang. We're all about banging here with the Diamond Dabbas Tells page. So, yeah, he comes out. He's going through the crowd. He's doing his poses. Raven attacks him from behind. They brawl for a while. Looks for a diamond cutter, Raven Bales, as Eric Watts watches on from the crowd. What could it mean? What could it mean? It's a very good question. Watts could it mean? No. Turning point! Do you remember the Titans? <laughs> Turning point! DDP! That was a reference to three hours ago. Yeah. We're pretty deep, alright. We had the three-hour mentality very early in the show, so... Which I think I think we've gone in reverse, because now I'm feeling like I have the energy of our one. <laughs> you got the, the Watts energy, that's what we call it. That's why, that's why oh. he's called Watts. Um, yeah, got all these... Kilowatts? You're powered up. DDP faced Raven with Watts on commentary Bang. at Turning Point. DDP's in ring debut. There's always Watts on commentary. How else would they run the mics? I already made a Watts joke. You can't just double down. <laughs> I can double down. <laughs> uh, I like this match. It was a good enough match for what it was. I mean, like, am I going to get mad at a DDP versus Raven mid-card match on my TNA pay-per-view? No. Yeah, it was a little overbooked, but who cares? It's DDP and Raven. Bang. They should swap and just do DDP versus Jeff Jarrett. We'll see that before long. And DDP should win. Well, we'll see. That <laughs> mm, doesn't make me feel like he's going to win. They kicked out of the diamond cutter. They kicked out of the Raven effect. Funny that he does a, a, a diamond cutter near fall in his first match. He's like, ah, I probably won't be around very long. Might as well have him kick out of it. Well, I feel like they... they well, yeah. But like, I feel like that's been the build of the match too. It's like, they're just going to do their moves. They're going to hit their DDTs. They're going to hit their diamond cutters and everyone's going to kick out. Yeah, when DDP hit the diamond cutter, Don West shouted about it. It's this, the stone cutter! And then Mike Denae's like, diamond cutter! <laughs> uh, two of Raven's henchmen tried to interfere, but Watts killed them both with choke slams, feigning to be the, on the side of DDP until it turns out he turned on DDP and clotheslined him too. Fucking swerve. Went to, to choke slam him, but DDP just dropped him with a diamond cutter. <laughs> awesome. What sucks too, he gets fucking jobbed out hard. Yeah, and then DDP hits a second diamond cutter on Raven to pick up the win in his TNA debut. Bang. Nice little mid-card pay-per-view match for what it was. Yeah, um, let's see where this goes, I guess. And as always, I will keep saying it, more diamond cutters the better. Bang. Brings us over to the X Division, starting with the X Division title feud, Petey Williams versus Chris Saban. Did you know that Petey Williams is an amazing athlete? No, there's a new one this month. It's he's won three Ultimate X matches. <laughs> Didn't they, didn't they like start one of the promos off with Petey Williams? And I was like, <gasps> yeah. and then I think they changed it. I, I nearly popped out of my chair when I heard the Petey Williams, but then it was something else. Because it was like, Petey Williams has the most devastating finishing move. It's like, oh <laughs> Yeah. But it started with the same Petey Williams. And you're like, oh my God. Because it was like, it wasn't even like the week after. It was like November 19th or something. Mm. The story of this match, Chris Saban became number one contender on the Best Damn Sports Show. He won the Ultimate X over Sanjay. Stop talking about that show. (laughs) Fair enough. But he won that match. He's number one contender. But the story of their match is that they came up together. They trained together in the same school, in the same training class under Scott Damore. 
but Chris Sabin has the counter to the Canadian destroyer. And that is to not jump on his own head. <laughs> I will say, I will. I have to say, Chris Sabin, I love you. But if you have the counter to the guy's finishing move, I'd maybe not show it off until the pay-per-view. <laughs> yeah, you should just take the Canadian destroyer for a few weeks and then he'll think that he's got it and he'll lower his guard. Then you can do your little take an E, hit a cradle shock. I was like, yeah, his strategy is to just fall down. Yeah, he drops through an E, he lifts them up. At least, like, he does counter straight into his own finishing move, which is a good touch. Yeah. This is like when Kenny would counter the Rainmaker by just falling over. <laughs> uh, November 12th, Impact. Chris Saban faces Alex Shelley. Very, very quick match. It probably was meant to be longer until Kevin Nash talked for six hours. Oh, damn it, I'm off the Kevin Nash train now. <laughs> uh, PD was watching on from the ramp. Saban wins with a cradle shock. PD jumped Saban after the match, went for the Canadian Destroyer, but Saban did his counter where he drops the one knee, then lifts uh, PD up in the fireman's carry position and hits the cradle shock. We are firmly um, disproving the commentary's idea that Alex Shelley is better without Goldilocks because it is not going better for Alex Shelley without Goldilocks. It has only gone downhill. He has no title matches this month, so... He barely has matches. He does. Actually, that's the only Alex Shelley match other than the Styles match at the best time, isn't it? Don't talk about that, sure. <laughs> November 19th, PD Williams and Bobby Roode face Jarrell Clark and Mikey Bats. PD Williams wins with a destroyer on Clark. Saban comes down, reverses the destroyer into the cradle shock again after the match. He's really showing up. He's giving PD ample time to devise a new strategy to work out the counter to the counter yeah following week we have a three-way match Saban versus Shane versus PD once again Saban reverses the destroyer into the cradle shock for the win pins the exhibition champion heading into turning point why is Michael Shane in this they wanted Saban to reverse the move and pin PD but they did want to do give away the singles match to which you just say just do Saban and Sanjay against PD and one of Team Canada but uh, listen we can't all have good ideas here but why Michael Shane He's there as a body so they don't give away the pay-per-view match while also wanting saving the big yeah, but, but why Michael Shane of all people? Because he's just a guy in the X Division. It could have been anybody. They just chose Michael Should Shane. Should have been Shelly. Should have been Shelly. Uh, December 3, Kid Cash faces Chris Saban. Kid Cash has um, been somewhat busy on these shows. He's winning most weeks at least. And speaking of winning... Yeah, for some reason he pins Chris Saban. I guess... Yeah, the idea here is that, like, okay, you, you've you got the answer to PD stuff, but, you know, you can get caught up in your own stuff, too. Yeah, because the finish here is Saban goes for the cradle shock, Cash rolls through, pins him holding the tights. So, like, the entire story of the month is that Saban has the counter for the Canadian Destroyer, Saban has the counter for the Canadian Destroyer, Saban has the counter for the Canadian Destroyer, until the final show of the month, where it turns out somebody has the counter for the cradle shock, where maybe Saban is too full of his oats, maybe he's focused too much on the Canadian Destroyer and not winning matches. Yeah, and, um... I'm pretty, which doesn't make sense because he won the last match. But when this happened, I was like, oh shit, are, they, are we getting a three-way with Kid Cash in it? <laughs> and I was like, way more excited for that. It turns out that match rocked between Saban and Petey, so you can't give out. Yes, I know. But I was very excited for the prospect of Kid Cash in that match too. Kid Cash is too busy running back a six-man tag they did on Impact. Yeah, well, that's, what the fuck's on with that? We'll talk about that next. Turning point for the X Division Championship, Petey Williams faced Chris Saban. And I think the first great X Division title match, maybe since 2002. This feels like the the best stuff since Saban had those, like, Hoovy matches. Yeah, which weren't even title matches, so. Yeah. Yeah, it is the best matches. In, it probably is the best match in the X Division since that um, Super X Cup final. Oh no, Garrett, I got sad because I started thinking of Paul London again. Oh, I'm sorry. Why can't I have good things? You only got a little bit of spanky, too. I'm, bl- I'm blaming Jeff. <laughs> Jared or Hardy? Both. <laughs> Uh, yeah, these two went out. They absolutely rocked it. Great match. 
went out there, tore, tore the house down. Petey's thing was he went for the sharpshooter rather than the Canadian destroyer to try and beat Saban. Which I thought was a really good touch. I love that every Canadian... Like, Brent, imagine being so over that everyone from your country can use your move as a second finish. Yeah, and it, it's like the Eddie Three Amigos thing, isn't it? It's like the free pop as a Canadian as you do a sharpshooter. Yeah, but like... But it's like if the, the Three Amigos was also a finish that you could use. <laughs> yeah. Somebody should use the Three Amigos as a finish. Well, like, didn't Eddie used to do it into a Brain Buster as a finish? Well, it used to be the setup for the Frog Splash, didn't it? Yes, but, like, I thought there was, like, a brief funny, a time where he would, like, do the last Amigo as a Brain Buster, and you would pin, on, pin, pin people off that. That would be a cool finish, because the Brain Busters rule. Brain Busters do rule. <laughs> they rule so much that, um, uh, Austin Theory taking a Brain Buster <laughs> led to him winning a match today. I didn't see that. Well, that makes me sad, because that means he's a champion, doesn't it? Yes, uh, in that three-way with Seth... Seth was bringing him up for a suplex and Bobby speared Seth and then fell out of the ring. And as he came down, he brain busted Austin Theory, but Austin Theory landed on Seth and got the pin. Oh, It was a, a great match. It's much better last time when we were recording and Austin Theory could be dunked on for cashing in his briefcase on the US title. Yeah, now he... But it's even, well, I suppose this is just... A, you know, instead of finding positives, let's find faults and find places to, to dunk on people because that's really weird booking, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He cashed in and lost like a big loser and then just won a match like two weeks later. Once again by complete fluke. <laughs> yeah. Good booking. Well done, Paul. Paul's great. Uh, Garrett's still, um, he's off the pole patrol now. I haven't watched WTV in like two months. I've been like, ah, eh, it was better when I watched it, but I haven't watched it. Sounds like months. you're Paul out. Oh, owned Triple H. Please add um, applause audio in there. I get after that joke. <laughs> Yeah, but I want like a roaring, like full venue applause. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so they, these two went all out. PD and Saban. Uh, Saban hit a cool dive to the floor where he went over the ring posts. He also hit a cool float over into an alley oop, followed by a regulation pile driver. Awesome, absolutely phenomenal stuff. Finish was a little flat. PD just grabbed some uh, nuts out of his tongue trunks and punched him. Retained the belt. PD, like he did continue countering the destroyer. It's not like he worked out the counter to the counter because the finish was he countered the destroyer into the cradle shop, but the more pulled PD down and then he knocked him. And they did the terrible knocks where they like did the knocks wrapped in it's like the tape one or cardboard one. It's like just use regular knocks. Probably hard to find. I don't care if you're gonna do a knocks finish, go find some brass knocks. How much uh, more angry would you have been at the fucking full gear main event if they handed the like rolled up knocks? Uh, I would have thought it was even worse than it already was. Just use the ring then. I'm a big fan of the um the the thing of coins because mm. when you hit them and they explode. That's a good visual. Yeah. So PD retains the exhibition title, and as I said, probably the best exhibition title match, the best exhibition match, full stop in over a year. Yeah, it's um, yeah, that Saban guy, he's pretty good. He is pretty good, and like we were talking about, when's the first time we really see PD? It's like this was pretty close to seeing PD. Yeah, well, we'll see where we go with the next uh, next month's pay per view. So coming off the back of the Jimmy Snooker segment at Victory Road, we have the Kid Cash and oh, yeah. Sanjay Dutt Hector Garza feud thing that's going on here. Mm. So sorry, we have breaking news about Vince Russo. Oh God, go on. From JRH in the in the you've got to be kidding me Discord channel. Please inform me, JRH. Uh, and I quote: Finally, getting around to listen to the third WSX episode. Mm-hmm. Good. Believe it or not, Vince Russo actually does have a job in wrestling in 2022. He actually runs his own shindy promotion called Devotion Championship Wrestling, which has a weekly fight show. I think the promotion is technically affiliated with OVW in some way, so you know the quality you're gonna expect there. Hmm. I think we have to go watch that show now. 
I I think we have to watch Devotion Championship Wrestling. Let me look into the 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 degree of involvement Russo has, and if it's very heavy, we'll do at least one or two of them for Patreon. Uh, we got sent a screenshot for a number one contendership triple threat match, triple with two Ps, mm-hmm. which um, <laughs> which involves Brett Buffshay, Buffshay, Bud Birch, and Red Matthews. And it's what appears to be labelled as Season 3, Episode 20. Dear Lord. If he's actually producing that much wrestling in 2022, how does nobody notice? Probably because it's Devotion Championship <laughs> Wrestling. So I look forward to um, seeing what that's about, perhaps. At the very least, me and Garrett will finish recording this and we'll go watch it to see what it is. <laughs> we may even do some for Patreon if it doesn't seem either too bad or too boring. Or too offensive. Mm, that's always an option. And I don't mean as like... Like, mad. I mean, like, offensive to my sensibilities as a human being. Mm. I'm, I've started Mad Men, okay? I don't have time for Devotion Championship Wrestling. You've already watched the best, Thames. You've already committed as much time as you have to bad wrestling. Yeah, I, I, see, I paid my dues. November 12th, Impact. Kid Cash and Shazarian defeat the trio of Hector Garza, LA Park, and Psychosis. For some reason, Garza's the one pinned here? I, I guess because they're planning to do something with Garza moving forward, like with him and Cash. That was my guess. Maybe I'm off base with that. Well, yeah, that's the feud for the month, I guess. But, like, you just had Garza win the gauntlet, and you have two other people in this match who aren't going to be around anymore. They want to build heat to the singles match. But they just do the singles match and impact, then. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just... I'm, I'm devil's advocate. If you if you want to shit on Dusty's booking, that's on you. Well, I, this is pre-Dusty coming in, thank you very much. Mm. This is still still Double J and Dutch's fault that Garza lost this match. Yeah. Why don't they, they... They should have just done that singles match at the paper. They probably went better off, or even just Cash against Sanjay. Cash against Sanjay or Cash against Hector. Mm. God, Cash versus Hector would have been good. Uh, Garza's team jumped their entrance, they came out to kick Cash's music. <laughs> Which, maybe they just like the music. My name is Kid! Well, that's not a song, but sure. It is. Kid, Cash, rocks. There you go. Garza was going for the tornado, but Tracy distracted him. Kid Cash hit him with a coconut for the win. They do this match again, basically, the following week with different partners. It's Kid Cash and Shazarian against Sanjay Siaki and Garza this time. I'm be real. I thought it was the same team, basically. <laughs> These matches have all morphed into one match in my brain. Cash hits Siaki with a coconut for the win. And then Sharkboy shows up and helps them hit Stereo Superfly Splashes to before they get beaten up by the Kings of Wrestling. That's a good bit. Getting beaten up by the Kings of Wrestling? No, the Superfly Splashes. November 26th. Is there any build to this match on this show? I don't think there is. Oh no, Kid Cash face Hector Garza. There you go. There you go. They should have done that on the paper. Shazarian comes out as Tracy distracts the ref. Garza takes out Shazarian and then rolls through on the moneymaker for the win. Cash hits Garza with a coconut before the extra ref, so the extra should make the save. <laughs> I wonder what Kid Cash's feelings are about having a coconut gimmick. It's a good weapon. It's a solid weapon. I feel like getting hit with the coconut would knock somebody out. Oh my god. Kid Cash should obviously have the, the roll of coins that we were talking about earlier. And he's like... This is the real money maker. <laughs> you know why they call me Kid Cash? Because I have seven dollars fifty in coins on me at all times. It's this. He should make the seven dollars in his pocket rock catchphrase. His pocket, uh, his catchphrase. But it's a roll of coins he hits people with. He should do a like pocket sand, but instead it's just a a fistful of loose coins that he throws in people's face. <laughs> that would actually be a tremendous gimmick. <laughs> That would be awesome. <laughs> Just <laughs> hurling 15 coins out of your pocket right in somebody's eyes. <laughs> that would hurt so badly. Turning point. Hector Garza, Sanjay Dutton, Sunny Siaki, Face Kid Cash, and Frankie Kazarian, and Michael Shane. <laughs> I'm just so 
<laughs> Kid Cash throwing loose change in people's faces <laughs> with these shitty little grin. And then you do a thing where a wrestler is real thrifty and he starts gathering up the change and he gets rolled up. Yeah. <laughs> no, Kid Cash tries to pick it all up to do it again <laughs> and gets rolled up. Uh, this was a nice little match. Uh, Siaki launched Sanji like 15 feet into the air for a dive. That was fucking crazy. Uh, Tracy tried to interfere, but accidentally hit Kaz with the pie in the sky, allowing Garza to follow with the tornado, and Garza picks up a win. Yay, Garza winning things. We're going to strap the rocket to Garza next month, so have fun with that. And then he's going to be gone, so have fun with that too. <laughs> like he's saying have fun with that as if I won't have fun with the Hector Garza push. You're very anti-Hector Garza. You're like, he sucks, why is he even on TV? <laughs> That's me. Definitely not a guy who's put over Hector Garza at every opportunity. Kid Cash continues to be on his best behavior. He's even getting along well with people he had problems with in the past, said one wrestler. He's been used in six-man tag matches at the last two pay-per-views, but there was talk of having him work an angle with Roddy Piper. However, Piper rejected the idea. The feeling in the locker room is that Cash is on probation with the office right now based on some of the problems he's caused in the past. Uh, Gary, just a quick update for you. There has been no score in Belgium and Morocco yet. I do have it on next to me. Costa Rica beat Japan. Damn it. I'm rooting for Japan. Mm. Uh, there was rumblings that they were looking to do like a, a tag match with uh, Piper and Snooka. I thought you were going to give me like World Cup rumblings. <laughs> no, with Piper and Snooka on either side of tags, but that apparently is, is was was not particularly on the horizon. Why would Piper and Snooka be on opposite sides? They're friends now. That's true. They've they've made up. They have forgiveness in their hearts now. Well, there's so many easy jokes that I'm not going to take. We have a couple more things to cover in Best of the Rest. We've mostly talked about all the actual angles that led to Abyss versus Monty Brown. There was the attacks during the Raven DDP debut. The Abyss basically cost Monty the world title by attacking him from behind uh, with the plank and injuring his back. Which looks stupid, by the way. They should have done a slightly like stronger attack on Monty if that was going to be his out for losing the NWA title match. Or just acknowledge it in some way, but like, I don't know. He should have had Janice. Like, he hit him in the back with a plank once. <laughs> like, that's it. It wasn't like he, he wailed on him or choke slammed him on something strong or hard. He just hit him with a wooden plank. Like, a, a like three-inch thick wooden plank once. And Monty's like, oh, my back. But I, 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 they could have done, like, you know, a big spot out the back or something. Put him through something. Because you're building to Serengeti survival where the rules are... Put him in the put him in Yeah, the pinfall, submission, or tax. Put him in the tax that builds the pay-per-view match and you give him like a good visual and that gives him an excuse for losing. Yeah, so clearly we should give us the book 2014. Or any company. (laughs) Devotion Wrestling Championship or whatever the fuck. (laughs) Give us the book. There was also a squash on the November 19th back to where Abyss beat Kevin Jones. Any relation? Um, yes. Cool. But I won't, but you won't know where. (laughs) Abyss hit him with the Black Hole Slams. The hooded figure watched on. Then Abyss picked him up and hit him with a pounce. To send a message to Monty Brown. Uh, made the ref count three twice. Got his tax, but Monty made the save. Yeah. I mean, I don't have much to say about this match. Despite it being pretty alright. Yeah, so turning point. Serengeti survival. The alpha male Monty Brown defeated Abyss by hitting an Alabama slam into the tax. Where Abyss mostly he went head first into the tax. Yeah, which is not good because visually it looks bad. So it got booed. Mm. But probably hurt way the fuck more than the landing in a flat back bump into the tax. 
Uh, fair play to Abyss for choosing to roll around in them so he at least had some visible tax in his arms. Yeah, Abyss, a true pro who knew he basically not quite missed it. As he said, he did go head first into them, but th- that means there were very few visible tax, so he did just, just like, shimmy his way into a few more tax. Probably should have just like called it and had like Monty like power boom or something. I guess the issue was like immediately the ref started ringing for the bell. Yeah. So the- because that was the finish. Yeah, so they, they didn't really have any time to improvise because you have rules of Serengeti survival. Everybody knows them. Garrett, what is your favourite Serengeti survival match? Uh, this one, that's the only one. <laughs> when you're out in the Serengeti, Liam, you're facing down a lion. You look him in the eyes. Yeah, I'm imagining I'm there over there right you now. You have three options. You could pin the lion, you could submit mm. the lion, or you can slam the lion in thumbtacks. I'm going to throw a pocket of loose change in its face. I'm going to throw a pocket of loose thumbtacks in its face. How many... Okay, that's ridiculous, Garrett. How much? How often do you have loose thumbtacks in your pocket? How often do you, in 2022, have loose change in your pocket? More than you'd think. I'm poor. And, but uh, do you not live in a cashless society? No. Nope. I don't think that... I don't remember the last time I've had a pocket full of change. I think I have change in my wallet right now, if I were to look. I do have access to change. I have a tin of change that I could draw from. Change the world. But I don't have a pocket full of change. Well, maybe you should, Garrett. Maybe you should, you should get down here with the working man sometime. I just go boop with my card and it takes money out of my ones and zeros. Oh, look at you with all your ones and zeros. I'm all zeros. <laughs> the last thing to talk about had no build. It's turning point. It's Johnny B. Bad and the Empire Stain Pat Kenny versus the NYC. <laughs> they got him the Empire Stain. He is an Empire Stain on this podcast, I'll tell you that much. Oh. Heavy shot at Pat Kenny, perhaps unnecessary. He's not even the worst guy on his team. <laughs> Johnny B. Bad is right there, and also Discos in this match, so. This was a match that existed. It was like a playoff of last month's pay-per-view match, which uh, Jack Willett was special referee, so it was building off the Trinity and Jackie match. Trinity was scheduled to be at the pay-per-view, but called at the last second to say she got a stunt gig for Steven Spielberg movie in New York, and thus couldn't make it. Alright, let's find out what movie this was. It's probably uh, War of the Worlds, right? That little-known film. Mm. No, that is the... Uh, Trinity Wikipedia does not take you to the wrestler first. It takes you to the Christian doctrine. I would have thought I would take you to the Matrix character. No, the Christian doctrine, I think, is a little bigger. Although, you know, 2004... War of the Worlds It was 2005, but... You know, maybe it was in pre-production at some point. Maybe they were doing some stunt work. It would have absolutely been filmed in 2004, especially with the June release in 05. That would have been filmed in 04. So it's probably yeah, War of the Worlds. Right, all right, fair enough, fair enough. Probably War of the Well, what else was Spielberg doing, mm. you know? That hack. It's <laughs> burned my bridges earlier. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was Munich. Was she in Munich? Did she do stunts for Munich? I'm not gonna check. <laughs> maybe, Garrett, it was The Terminal. Oh, she would have, like, done the shaving stunts with Tom Hanks? Maybe it was Catch Me If You Can. Maybe it was Minority Report. Both those movies were already out. Maybe it was The Fablemans. <laughs> It'll very far in advance he's shooting that one. Maybe it was The BFG. Again, very far in advance. The Bound for Glory. No, that's not until next year. What's your favourite Spielberg movie, Garrett? Uh, I'm very fond of Jurassic Park. Believe it or not. Mm. I enjoy Catch Me That's If You little, Can. A little underground one. Catch Me If You Can is fantastic. Mm. His Tintin movie fucking rocks. Is it like the the semi-recent The one? 2011 one, which he made with Peter Jackson. There. Yeah. yeah. Which I've been meaning to rewatch. I should rewatch that. You like, you're one of these perverts who liked Ready Player One. I do like Ready Player One. <laughs> Listen, people think it's like the worst movie of all time. And I'm like, it's a perfectly fine little movie. Get over yourselves. It's not good. 
It has that shining sequence that rocks. So, Garrett, um, I obviously will pick Schindler's List, you know. Of course. Um, Maybe you would have never have picked for your favourite. AI artificial intelligence? Because you hate Liam Neeson. (laughs) I watched some of Taken last night, and that film rules. (laughs) Liam Neeson. It does it's, rule. It reaches the point. It's reached the point of cliche now. So, it, like, people might like roll their eyes at it, but that film rules. I'm gonna say uh, Hook. Uh, send Hook. Send Hook, the 1991 American adventure film. Uh, uh, an Irish Christmas movie, by the way. Um, we have an update on the fucking Devotion Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. JRH comes in clutch again and says, "I, I asked. Thank you so much for alerting this uh, to us." Uh, how much involvement does Russo have? He says, I don't know for sure, but the little I've watched, you can tell he's the one booking. We might have to do some for Patreon, Liam, as a special Christmas present. We should make those fuckers at Days of Thunder duel with <laughs> us. This should be our counter to their world, the WWA, is that they have to watch an episode of Devotion Championship Wrestling. Hey, maybe they'll enjoy it. They, they watch Thunder, they're sickos. I mean, who are we to talk? We're literally talking about the Empire Saint. We're doing anything but talk about the Empire Saint. <laughs> I'm still, like, really interested in what Trinity's stunts in Stuart Little 2 were. Again, she played the mouse. Mm, she played the house. Uh, Gilberti pushed Jackie, who was special ref, out of the way, and pie faced her, so she body slammed him, and bad one with a TKO. Mm. So, I gotta have a football question. Shoot. I have Belgium and Morocco up on my second no, screen. I said shoot, that's a nice little football thing, but yeah, continue. I, I gotcha. That's also a wrestling reference, you. you see, so it's it's pretty leveled, that joke. Um, <laughs> How much time... Do these games get? What do you mean? Because it's like it says thirty fifty three on my screen right now. That seems like a long half. Halves are forty five minutes long in football. Oh, this this Belgium fan uh, fellow seems to have died. Uh, plus, he's holding his leg. Plus injury time. Oh, he kicked him right in the shin. <laughs> That's fun. That was the kneecap. That's not fun. <laughs> I can relate to the kneecap, not the shin. You have a familiarity with kneecap injuries? Yeah, as someone whose kneecap went the other way around once. Mm. Mm. So yeah, 45 minute half. Seems to be alright now. Mm. Alright, well that seems like, that's a long time to be running around. Plus there's injury time usually, of which in this tournament it's usually five minutes added on minimum. That's a lot. I insist that the main reason Americans don't like soccer is that their entire brain is conditioned to watch sport in like 30 second chunks because they're built around ad breaks over there. So they don't have the attention span mm. to sit down and watch a game for 45 minutes without getting bored. I I also think it's like a lack of scoring big moments like that. Yeah. Because like, I think that's the, the same thing here with like, this is what people came here for. The same thing with um, Aussie rules football here is that we don't go to ad breaks until a goal is scored. Mm. So you're guaranteed to get like a score. Like you, you might get points in the meantime or behinds as they're called sometimes. Um, but you won't get an ad break until like an actual goal is scored. So... You can, uh, there's, there's guaranteed action before you go to the break and there's, and they're normally very high scoring games, but, uh, I think, uh, yeah, I, it's almost uh, for people who, I guess, don't watch football, the idea of like watching a, a whole hour and a half of sport and the score being zero, zero <laughs> or one, one at the end is very like hard. It's a hard barrier to break through. But it is the, the most continuous action. Actually, like, no, the fastest field sport in the world is hurling. It's an Irish sport. There you go. But there is continuous mm. action, which you don't get in baseball or American football. But I think the problem is you can watch like basketball and you get continuous action that also scores a billion points. Yeah, but I think basketball is one I, I can never get into just because of how continuous the scoring is. Do you think that might be coming from a football fan background? But no, because I, like, I can watch a rugby game, you know? Mm. See, I, like, basketball is the, the sport I can put on the easiest. 
because it's I put it on, it's all action, shit's going on, it's interesting, it's fun to watch with friends because there's constant movement. Although every time I've watched football in like a live setting, like at a bar or with people, I've always enjoyed it too. Yeah, basketball doesn't have enough peaks and valleys, it's too continuous. No, oh, it's, it's all these high spots, these exhibition kids need to <laughs> slow it down. So there's Garrett and Liam's 10 minutes on sport to round out the Empire Saint and Johnny V. Bad beating the NYC at Turning Point. And talking about... Steven Spielberg movies. That is December 2004. That is Turning Point 2004. We'll be back in two weeks with the Final Resolution episode. And that will probably be our last episode of the year, bar the Days of Thunder special. So you look forward to that. Mm-hmm. We're really confirming this Day of Thunder special that we haven't actually ironed out in any nah, way. We set it on the air. That means Dave and Lee have to do it. Those are the rules. <laughs> well, no, but we've been so mean to them. <laughs> By we, I mean, I guess me. <laughs> How I laughed that it hurt my back. Good. Pain. You deserve it. We'll be back in one week with Reviewed for Her, our Wrestling Society X series, our next episode. That'll be next week on Patreon, along with the World Tag League show that Liam is insisting we do. We'll also do that next week as well. Yeah. So that'll be on patreon.com slash kdmirtnhad.com within the next week. As we mentioned, the watch along for Turning Point 2004 is there right now, where Liam discovered that his recording stopped working because his computer ran out of space. <laughs> That's a fun time. Yeah. You want, like, some discussion about uh, me learning that space management is a thing? It's the reason the audio quality will be slightly worse, because we have to use the backup recording, because Liam literally ran out of space on his computer, because he doesn't know how hard drives work. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know where downloads downloaded to. But yeah, that's on patreon.com slash kiddingmeortnhat.com. Follow us on Twitter, at TNAHistoryPod. Follow me on Twitter, at Gary Kinney. Follow Liam on Twitter, at TheGleetMooder. You can follow us on tiktok at tna history you can follow us on youtube but you've got to be kidding me what's the other one hive give out hives oh yeah at garrett kidney and at tna wrestling on hive (laughs) (laughs) yeah follow me at tna wrestling we got the the donation thing you can donate to us you what else we got we got uh i think we've run out (laughs) youtube go subscribe to the youtube our tiktok does have seventeen thousand subscribers yeah come on Uh, all of you you, everyone else is slacking compared to the 17,000 people who are listening to us from TikTok. Ideally, we'd get another about 500 people subscribing to the YouTube and then watching about 1,700 hours worth of content and then we can make some money there. So that would yeah. help. But yeah, all that there, social media, all out there in the world. And then we'll start uploading full TNA shows. Don't we, don't worry about it. Like, they will never know. It'll be really great. <laughs> no one at the company will be able to find out. No one at all. Yeah. We'll bury it deep. (laughs) Oh, dear. So, yeah, we'll be back in two weeks with the Final Resolution episode. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye. Do the damn thing. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Voices of Wrestling listener. Dave Ryan here. Have you ever wondered to yourself, how many hidden gems are hidden away inside the last years of World Championship Wrestling? Have you ever asked yourself how many tenuous gags can be made about the name Mike Enos? And have you ever thought about what it sounds like for two Irishmen to interpret a very chaotic company through its B-show? The answers to all this and more are just a click away. 
Check out Days of Thunder every second Thursday on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.